Welcome to the Raleigh Bitcoin Meetup. We are going to start out with a slightly technical question today. Uh, if the average block propagation time across the planet is 10 seconds, meaning like a miner finds a block, it takes like 10 seconds for the whole world to hear about it, and the average block time is 10 minutes, then what should the orphan rate be? Meaning like, how often should the network kind of diverge for a little bit because two miners found a block within the same 10 seconds of propagation time? Is that... Well, the are we saying that... Are we using the 10 seconds as a purely hypothetical, not that that's what it actually is in the network today? Well, it's got to be something like that because, I mean, the block has to be, you know, transmitted on the internet and digested by all of the nodes. I mean, it's not one second and it's not a minute. It's, you know, 10 seconds, 30 seconds or something like that. Does that determine the what the orphan rate should be, the block propagation time divided by the you know, block discovery time. Just for context here, um, this was this was brought up because I was talking about how um, in 2015 and 16, and I guess really kind of 14 too, it was, it was the early years, um, uh, how as new versions of Bitcoin came out, one of the things that I had no- noticed was just how unbelievably, how much efficiency improvement there was in the, the newer versions of Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, one of the ways that I saw that was orphan rates were dropping like crazy. I mean, not that they were insane, but every once in a while you get like a two block orphan rate, uh, or a two block orphan. Um, and then you'd get, you know, a typical one block orphan like here and there. Um, and it was pretty frequent. It was pretty common. And then it basically got so rare as to, it was silly to go look at the chart, you know, like I just, it just became a thing that I didn't check anymore. Um, so it's like, is that, is that more a consequence of centralization? If, you know, if we're dealing with the fact that like just sheer probability would say everyone in a hundred blocks, maybe we should, maybe we should expect an orphan rate, you know, like we should expect an orphaned one. Yeah. I was, I was saying that I would like to have a healthy org orphan rate. <laughs> Um, rather than a specifically non-existent one if it's yeah if it meant centralization or right suggested if it, that yeah if it keeps dropping forever i would i would worry about that but it does make sense that just the algorithm's gotten better and um, efficiency of the transmission process has gotten better because now nodes all probably have you know eight to ten healthy neighbors which just means there's more routes to every node which just means the blocks are going to get there quicker and so that's going to reduce the orphan rate and the efficiencies you mentioned in the new version of Bitcoin Core. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense why it would reduce. I just, I would be nervous if, I, I feel like there is a healthy orphan rate yeah, because of, the, of that ratio. So I find it kind of interesting that before 2013, um, there were no orphan blocks at all. And I think that can be explained due to centralization. And then... After 2013, we start seeing orphan blocks gaining in popularity and then peaking and then declining. Interesting. And I I think now what that is, I think the answer previously was centralization before 2013. But now I think it's improvements to the relay network. 
And also, we need to answer that question about how many um, orphan blocks does Bitcoin Core hang on to? Um, because I could see the early versions of Bitcoin Core just not hanging on to any. Like, if you got a winning block, then you just added that to the blockchain. If somebody came up with an old block, you just rejected it. I mean, if I was coding it, that would be my first. I wouldn't hold on to an orphan block, but I don't know. Um so that that question would need to be answered for why it didn't happen yeah. before 2013. The stat about 2013 is that just something you knew from memory or? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I just um, just had that written. Actually, I have a tattoo of it. I just have that chart on my inner thigh. I had to pull down. I my assume it's not counting the 24 block rollback in 2010. Um, but what's the yeah. what's the stat? Where did you get that? What's the? I, I just I was one? straight up googling. Oh, you just yeah. googling? Okay. Yeah. Who? Which is the first one of us to get a Bitcoin tattoo? I've actually I've been I've wondering that for it. a minute. I have been wondering Dude, if anyone's really got funny. one and just not like said everybody, anything. Everybody's just quietly been thinking about a Bitcoin tattoo. But where would you put it? I'm kind of looking at James over here. <laughs> it's just a henna tattoo. What is it like at a certain price point? When it reaches a certain price, you get the tattoo. What would Dude, what, what would it take? What price would it take to get a tattoo? Consider that. I feel like it's just a part of my life. Like I mean, you know, I don't have any kids or anything. When I think about like what I care about the most in the world other than like my family is, you know, Bitcoin's up there, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's weird to say. So I'm hearing inside your lip. That's what I'm hearing. You're hearing it's what? Inside your lip is where you want to put it. Oh yeah. Bitter inside lip, my yeah. lip, maybe on my neck. I don't know. That's setting yourself up for, to, you know, I know, I know. you got to get something else, maybe like a nice ripple tattoo or something. Then <laughs> nobody's going to hassle you. You know, you, you get mugged, you know, like, I will see, pay I got for a ripple any, tattoo. Any you know? ripple tattoo that you get. It doesn't matter the size or how many, I will pay for them all. <laughs> yeah, my one issue with that is OPSEC. Instead, like, not that I'm like covering up that like I like Bitcoin, like I have a podcast about it. Um, but uh, at the exact same time, it's like the first question that, you know, I, I don't I don't believe that government is altruistic by nature and that I have nothing to worry about if I'm being moral and following what I know to get, be the uh, law. You know, it could it could signal to other Bitcoiners or or even higher level Bitcoiners like six point one five across your chest or something like, like that. Just like super deep Bitcoin. Six one five could be your birthday is June fifteenth or Bitcoin. you're also a whale. You know. I like that. That that I can get behind. That's easier. You know, gangs don't have they don't it doesn't say what gang they're in, but they have like a sparrow or something or a yeah, spider yeah. web or something like that. Right Craig color. is a fraud. Craig Wright's a fraud. Orange six point one five. Stay humble, stack sets. <laughs> Just can't use sets. Stay humble, stack. That's it. Um, I was going to try to tie in their orphan rate question to our original goal of making this about the Bitcoin standard, but I uh, don't quite know how to do that. Well, I've, I've got a kind of an interesting observation uh, based on what you were just saying a moment ago, Guy. Um, you know, the OPSEC of having a Bitcoin tattoo um, kind of leads me to this thought I've been having about when you talk about Bitcoin and someone finds out that you're a Bitcoiner uh, through no fault of your own, the first thing that they ask you is, well, how much Bitcoin do you have? And I think that to tie this into what is money, I think for Bitcoin to be considered a money, it's got to be socially faux pas to ask someone how much Bitcoin they have. Because right now it just seems like it's a it's a novelty. Oh, you know, how many 
Uh, what, are you, what are those little dolls that everyone used to collect back in the day? Beanie, beanie babies. babies. How many yeah, beanie yeah. babies do you have? I don't even know what the good ones are. But like, <laughs> do you do you have a you know a, a number sixty two beanie baby? Um, that was the thing, and it strikes me that it's still being treated as a novelty because of it. And I think that's a good part of obsec as well. If you wear it, people are going to know. But it's totally socially forbidden to ask someone how much money they have in their bank. Yeah. Actually, how you much should just money respond. do you have in your bank account, Jared? <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> 6.15 as well. 6.15 dollars. Yeah. I, I've uh, I usually throw out 6.15 now and then I laugh a little bit and then I tell the person like yeah it's kind of like like asking someone how the much dodge. money they have nice yeah. yeah. It's just, just strange how people with... ask that and they think it's like socially appropriate. Yeah. It's it it hasn't just become has a, how much they reported on their like, taxes. It's not last it's year. not like a socially normative behavior to not ask someone that question right now and and until it is. I don't think Bitcoin's going to be treated as a money by people. Well, they, I think they asked the question, I mean, out of probably a little cheekiness, just like trying to rib you a little bit, but also kind of like, oh, yeah, I played golf last weekend. Oh, what'd you shoot? You know, like thinking they want that you want to talk about it, well, like you're proud of it. So also, that's the other thing. If people ask me how my golf game was, that's also not an appropriate question. <laughs> <laughs> they're also trying to gauge how much they should have. Whether so? whether they're interested or not, I, I've always taken you know it as... I, the that the success is a millionaire. You know, if you're a millionaire, you're by society standards successful. Whether that's you know you've got debt and all these car payments, but <laughs> it's kind of like Just, sizing you up a little bit. They they want to know whether they whether they're in now or a year from now or five years from now. Yeah, man. Just say you, you yeah, I got I got millions. You know, of, and then you mutter Satoshi's. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of Bitcoin in a retirement vehicle, but that vehicle was a boat. (laughs) (laughs) It's a classic dad joke. Classic. Um. It's funny how people don't get that, but we have to be kind of light about it, right? We have to be kind of just make fun of it. Just you know, people don't know that this is actually money that they're talking about, so they don't know the etiquette that they're supposed to use, and just. You know, I think part baby two, steps. I think part two is just that there's something, and maybe you know it's just because like Bitcoin is an asset, and everything in the the typical the the legacy economy is more seen as like stacks of liabilities. So it's easy for people to be embarrassed about their monetary situation because everybody's in debt. Um, so it's one of those things this kind of gets taboo to talk about because who who wants to talk about their problems and and uh, all their liabilities whereas bitcoin is an exciting thing to own that you actually have and it's volatile so and it's if exciting you, if you know? don't know about bitcoin i mean how many other questions can you really ask the person that's a good point <laughs> let's see let's see so what do you, you know, should we respond with well how much how money do you work? have in your savings account sit down is that what you should ask <laughs> Is it almost embarrassing to not be in a lot of debt? Okay, this this is going to sound weird, but hear me out. I I'm not in a lot of debt, but mm-hmm. I wish I was. Like I wish I had You could fit in. No, I no, I just <laughs> wish that joke, like but... I just took out a bunch of loans and bought a ton ton of bitcoin. I mean, yeah. it's not embarrassing for our country to be in debt. Yeah. I mean, it, it's embarrassing for the country not to be, right? A, a huge corporation, a huge corporation is in a lot of debt. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like it's like an, if you're not in a ton of debt, like you're doing something wrong in a way. 
I think that it depends on how you view the debt and what your intentions are. If you use it to buy liabilities, then it's not so great. If you use it to buy a bunch of clothes and vacations, but if you're using it to buy an asset that's, hey, I know this is this is my leverage play. I believe in myself so much that I'm going to take on this risk to double it, you know, in a year from now. So I think you should. If you have a good way to do it, Bitcoin, then why not? So I got a big mortgage and bought a really tiny house. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how are we going to transition to the Bitcoin standard? Uh, yeah, tell me, why don't you explain Th- it to Tom- me? Thomas over here said we were going to talk about chapter two of the Bitcoin standard, and I Googled for a chapter-by-chapter summary of it, and I, I've read the whole book, but I can't remember exactly what was talked about in uh, oh. chapter two. Oh, I didn't okay, even so I didn't covered... even look at chapter two for this week. I thought we were doing chapter one. I someone messaged we're gonna cover chapter one again. Okay, let's just do one again. Um so I I I I even brought okay, in the uh, printout of chapter what, one. What is what is a uh, fiat? Okay, so y'all started <laughs> oh, no. this last week. Y'all started this last week? Yeah more than started. Yeah, we yeah. we um Give me the breakdown just so I'm caught up completely. So nobody knows. Everybody disagrees. And, uh, yeah, the, the, we have no idea. What was the question? The, the question is, is what is one. the money? What is fiat? What is a decree? And we ended up into some very deep dictionary definitions that led us even further into the rabbit hole. Okay. And... There were some very interesting points being brought up, and I and I don't remember. I think it was Dave that brought up um, the point that there's only two kinds of money that exist: gold and Bitcoin, and everything else is not. Mm-hmm. And he had a, and I'm not going to do his explanation justice. Dave's going to be so pissed when he walks in and we're talking about this again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe not. I mean, he could. He, yeah, maybe he'll I, be really I have happy. a sneaky suspicion that that he has come back armed with with additional examples. Um, although we did exchange some text messages about it, um, that made me think that he was primed again for this conversation. Um, but I I think his idea is that if we need to just be careful about what we call money and what we don't call money because it's too easy to be deceived. I think that's the root of where that's he fair. was going with it. And yeah. I and I, I can agree with that sentiment if that's what his sentiment was. And but all if, fiat is essentially a money substitute. Yeah, and, and I just I, I'm I'm always bad about summarizing other people's arguments because I don't want to not do them justice, particularly mm-hmm. because he had some very eloquent points that um, brought up some really interesting discussions. But I think that's what it was. And I, I think the worst part about where where we went awry was this question of um, fiat is Money that has been declared by the government to be legal tender. Okay. Okay. That's that's our. That was my working definition of of fiat, which I I hope and I think is a is a fair definition. But I also think that the government could operate their economy um, with Bitcoin being the fiat currency. Bitcoin being the fiat. Mm-hmm. But my understanding is that fiat isn't backed by anything. So, I so that's, that's where we went awry, and yeah. I don't think that is incorporated in the definition of fiat. I think it's just a, a money that the government will accept as legal tender. I don't think it was required to be backed or decreed. The government's making a declaration, a decree that they will accept their their debts, private and public, 
with payments in a particular monetary item a cow pine cones squirrel hides you name it if they accept it that's a that's a fiat i think one of the parts of fiat was that it didn't cost any extra work to create the, so you could be right was, there was another inter- definition now that you mentioned that and i don't remember what that was but that wasn't the definition i had okay. under my mind but you're you're probably correct as i had always understood it it was that i mean obviously we've always used it in the context of just government money um but that it was that the good itself was just by decree that it didn't exist outside of the fact that the government decreed it existed um like like i wouldn't say that while uh while the uh like while the dollar was backed by gold, uh, the dollar was fiat, but gold was not. And it was because that dollar was by decree backed by gold. But if they didn't fulfill their promise, well, then nothing was there. But if you're actually using gold, whether or not they say that is currency, I don't think that means that the gold itself is fiat because gold can be used anywhere Gold is not just that jurisdiction. Like, I mean, is it is it 50 different countries' fiat during the gold standard? Um, like, whose fiat is it? Whose decree? Yeah. No, I appreciate that uh, that distinction. But, but I don't think that my definition excludes – let's say if, if we're going to adopt my definition of fiat for a moment, mm-hmm. um, right or wrong, the government can declare that to be fiat and other people can still accept it and not consider it fiat. Okay. Uh, it, well, that, then what's that, the distinction? The, the distinction is that a government has decreed it to be its legal tender, that they're going to accept it for the settlement of its debts and you can pay your taxes in it. That government, that's how they want it. Okay. What's the distinction, though, if – like, do do is there a word for the distinction between a fiat backed by something and a fiat not? I don't know of one, and I don't think there is. I and I'm glad to see that. I think that, that would be the, a good fiat versus a bad fiat. In the negative. I, but see, but they took. See, they had the, gold. They had gold, and then they're like, "Okay, we haven't created any other extra effort to create mm-hmm. this fiat. It's backed to the dollar. That's a good fiat." And then now we have bad fiat, which isn't backed by anything. It's not redeemable for anything. So you my can have problem a piece with of paper. using that. Uh, my problem with using that definition, like I can totally see that, but that, like, I feel like we need a clear term for the difference between. I mean, you were just talking about earlier is like kind of the power of words and stuff and if you have a clear label that one thing is and one thing is not like it's real easy to be like oh that's a good car versus a bad car but if car is synonymous with that thing which you should not you should not associate with at all like like i feel like there needs to be some sort of this kind of the reason why i've used fiat in this way whether or not it actually does mean that because i guess you're right it doesn't necessarily um but but that's the distinction between a money that's actually a good and a money that someone just says you have to use this. So uh, here's where I'm drawing my distinction from where okay. I think it's going to separate my logic uh, or maybe lack thereof. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S. government's not accepting Zimbabwean dollars yep. for settlements of their, their debts of taxes. I think it, we'd be hard-pressed to disagree that Zimbabwean dollar is not fiat. But it's that government's fiat. 
And as such, the U.S. government acknowledges that it is a fiat currency of another country, but it's not fiat currency to the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I don't know. I'm making such a technical and strange distinction, but I think it's unique to the the country that you're in, the people that have made the decree. Now, see, I get that logic. No, and it's I, also I follow the, that entirely. The, and like, if your definition, if we accept that, like. Spain is just fiat is the decree of whatever you're going to have to use in our jurisdiction. You're exactly right. That like follows the logic to its conclusion. But my problem is that like, don't we need some sort of a term like just in the idea of having a word, don't we need some sort of clear distinction line between money that is real and that is a good that actually exists and money that is, just a piece of paper that one person because of their violence because of their decree can just make billions trillions I'm and infinite so number i'm so glad of. you've asked oh, let me can i oh, oh, can i was, was going to hit him with the quotes i was giving him the one two skidoo over here all right fine i'll go no, ahead no, no, let's no, start no, with I'm the just, quote just, i will oh, save it i'll save it all right, well, it. let me just say i i really like this way of understanding it because both things are backed by something if you understand the word decree to mean violence yeah um, like <laughs> v- violence is the currency of the word decree. Yeah. I, it is the power of that word. So if a government says like, "Hey, I will accept my taxes in this, but I don't really care if you don't pay your taxes in this," then that's not a decree. It's only a decree if some violence is going to come in and make that. Do you see what I mean? It's like, and there's no so, value. Of so, that so there, there, there there's two things that are possible to serve as like, no, 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 just hear me out. There's two things that are possible to serve as the like backing of a money. One is like scarcity and like normal monetary properties and the other is violence the other is the threat of if you don't use this as the money then there's going to be some violent consequences to you so that so there's there's two choices yep. like either violence or scarcity like that's so, it so i'd like to read from the good book <laughs> okay throughout human history Many things have served the function of money. Gold and silver, most notably, but also copper, seashells, large stones, salt, cattle, government paper, precious stones, and even alcohol and cigarettes in certain conditions. And here we go. One, two, skidoo. Here we go. People's choices are subjective, but there is also no right or wrong choice of money. So... this, so this I, I can choose to avoid violence against me yes yes but the 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 definition of of a fiat is that it is a government mandated money and if i can just i'm going to use mandated to avoid the word decree for a moment because a money can also be something that i'm only willing to accept and if i am selling my cockles you know, that's it's like, my, my God, I should have picked a better option than cockles. Um, but look, Molly Malone, she's selling her cockles. Um, that's what are her, cockles? What, what, are, what are cockles? It's like a clam or something. Yeah, it's okay, okay, I'm just going to I'm just gonna say it. Saying what currency you prefer to accept is not a decree. Uh, it, that, that's just a bad usage of the word decree. But, but it is my subject. 
but, but my it, subjective desire to only accept one kind of money and not, money is subjective. That's just a bad use of the word decree, man, because it doesn't make me decree, do I said anything. mandate. That's okay. I, my favorite color is blue. Is that a mandate? I'm announcing to the world that my favorite color is blue. Is that a mandate? No. It's a decree. No. <laughs> I think yes. I think it's exactly. also relative to in your universe, yeah, in your in your in your domain. I'm not if you, saying if you that, have a house, then all your children and everybody in your house has to has has some threat of violence from your decree. But it's not you're born into a government that decrees it. That's the difference. Like we can all we can every one of us can make our own decrees. And then we've all got a billion different in decrees. Of one. In the jurisdiction of Saying one. that a favorite color is blue is not a fair representation of the analogy. And I think you're that's right. an unfair characterization it is of my arguments. It's not, it's not saying you're you right. It is because it's, it, yeah, you must be wearing if, blue. If you want to do business with me, you, ha- you, have, you have to wear blue. Still, I'm blue. <laughs> still, that's okay. You can say that's a mandate, but that kind of mandate doesn't carry the power to become an international currency. Like, um, be, because the, people still have the choice of, you know, whichever currency they want. So, so use. I noticed you use the word an international currency, but in a lot of what the Bitcoin standard is talking about, we're talking about micro economies. We're talking about prisons. We're talking about prison cells, people trading uh, cigarettes. That is a microcosm. That is a tiny economy. And to them, it, it is hard for me to be convinced that cigarettes is not a money. Your cellmate might like it when you wear blue. Right. That's <laughs> true story. But, it does bring up my eyes. But what no, I'm but saying it is, is, it is actually a money. I would say, I I would say the of course cigarette it is. is at least a currency. But, but, but I'm not willing to sell you my Ladyboy magazine that I, I put in my prison wallet. <laughs> To get in here for my cockles, from for my cockles, unless I get a certain brand of cigarettes. That's in fine. that economy, I am mandating, I'm decreeing that if you want what I have, you're going to pay me in Newports. And there would and be, not, but no you haven't forced it on the competing in a marketplace. You just, you've just said that this is what you will do business in. What absolutely, to, which is for different fiat from a by fiat. decree, is to suggest that even if you want to be. Uh, paid in cockles that you're going to get paid in Ladyboy magazines because that's my currency. Or so fiat how about, is how about by this? decree I that agree. I am telling you what Absolutely. your currency is. Absolutely. How about this? Be. So I, I am Not agreeing what, exactly with what you're saying. Yes. In a fiat, the government is decreeing that this is a money. But we we can't just say that when an individual in a microeconomy mandates that they will only accept anything, that that mm-hmm. also doesn't get treated as some kind of fiat. I... But it's not recognized. The decree, the decree is the decree is not based on the person themselves. You're saying I, as an individual, will only accept this. The decree is saying two other people cannot cannot. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Have money exchanged. I will cool my cockles. (laughs) So I'm looking at a twenty dollar bill right here, and it says this. What? <laughs> Weird flex. Uh, at a Bitcoin meetup. <laughs> damn, dirty fiat. It says. Break I'm looking at my 100,000 Satoshi <laughs> wallet over here. This says uh, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. And that's not like we wish for it to be. It's if you don't accept this, you're going to fucking jail. Yeah. It is. That's what makes it a decree. 
The decree like, isn't that I'm going to use this currency and that if you want to do business with me, this yeah. is the currency you're going to use. It's that you're going to use this currency. And if somebody yeah. wants to do business with you, you have to. Yeah, do like, I, I think I've got a better way. You to have to make position. the distinction between okay. subjective desire yes. and forcing That's exactly of the other people. Say. That's spot yeah. on. So yeah. I think when it comes to when it comes to a decree, you have and I've agreed every time we've spoken about this violence being backing backing a decree. But when it comes to individuals having transactions, the the threat of violence is de minimis. Uh, if you don't want to, you don't want to yeah. buy this from me. But there does become a uh, a, a social tax that is uh, a social normative behavior that would require you to, if you want to do business with me, you're going to have to comply with my requirements. That that does get treated as some kind of restriction on trade. That is not a decree, and I agree that's poor wording. But it, I can, as an individual, mandate that I get traded with in a certain way that doesn't ultimately come down to force. And and the smaller the economy goes, the less likely there is to be force. Yeah. That I think that's the essence of what the I'm trying to get at. Is that more each of the participants is on, like the the smaller you. Yeah. Which I think gets to the issue of salability. You know, the the closer they are in time, the closer they are in geography. Uh, and then what's the other one? Scales. Um, yeah. That that they're going to be more willing to participate even-handedly and flat-footedly and be less likely to be violent. And to the point where it will become just a social interaction. Like a, bar- like a bartering event. Like I'm going to barter with someone to have my lawn cut. So I think if the money arises naturally without someone forcing people to use money if if it becomes the money just because of the average of a lot of people just wanting it to you to use it then i agree okay but it, if it is the norm just because someone said it has to be the sure. norm then i don't see that violence going away in a natural way hmm. but on like a, i think but maybe on an international scale the the dollar's usage kind of arose a lot more organically. So if you look at it from an economy perspective, you had a couple of different currencies before the current iteration of the U.S. dollar. Because like the, when the continents were fighting the British, they had a currency and it went out of order. And they had another currency before that. But up until you got to the point of the U.S. dollar, um, they had went through some series of um, crisis of confidence in those varying currencies. And it took a lot of time for the U.S. to build up to get close to what the British pound was. Because the British pound had, you know, centuries of being a strong and stable currency. Once the Europe essentially collapsed after World War II um, and everything became pegged to the dollar, a lot of it was that, number one, that the United States had won. But a bigger part of, of it was... The United States was seen as a place where you that the store of value, the protection of value, was going to be much higher than Japan, than Europe, than any other country on the planet. And at the time, the U.S. had is producing about 50% of the entire output of the entire world. So there wasn't really any force of the United States on their end to get people to agree to use the U.S. dollar because it was like, well, there's no alternative, so this is a no-brainer. Yeah, we'll use you as the reserve currency. Uh, but don't you think the fact that the dollar was pegged to gold at that time, like after World War II, was a big factor in that? Like, So if you look at charts of like inflation, like house prices and stuff, mm-hmm. from like when 
the U.S. dollar was pegged to the gold standard versus the the moment it got off of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what like the conversation well, of this is not just just fiat currency, but like fiat currency pegged to some kind of hard asset versus an unpegged v- yeah. fiat. But currency. I think at the time that um, Jerome is talking about, we got a, several Jeromes in the building. <laughs> But, you know, all, all of the currencies that would have been in the running to be a reserve currency at that point were essentially backed by gold at that point in time. But I think the thing that makes the, like, as you pointed out, the U.S., the, the winner in that case is because they had such, uh, you know, majority or super majority of the production output in the world. So they had a bigger, you know, stock of, you know, productive assets and manufacturing capabilities and probably just value of currency in the world at that time. So it was it was easier to spread that out or, or amongst the rest of the countries, you know. But, I mean, why would it even matter which fiat currency you picked if they were all pegged to gold? That's a good, very good question. Well, uh, at that, If it's pegged to gold, then it's going to be based on the reserve of gold that you have in order for you to, re- to create more of that currency. That creates the confidence. Yeah, I would oh, say if there's some kind of fractional lending going on. It's yes. the res- it's the gold reserve. Like that's okay. that was the, that was a difference. So the difference between now um, with other currencies that use a dollar as a reserve is what's considered a stronger currency that's not part of like the euro or the uh, Swiss franc is the fact that they have a large bulk of reserves of U.S. dollars to support their currency. Yeah, I would say it's the same as whether or not you're going to use. Uh, the same consideration of whether or not you're going to use Tether, uh, USDC, or make or die when you're exiting a position to dollars is, well, that's based on who you think is most likely going to be in business and will actually reimburse you if something goes wrong. So they each have their own individual values um, depending on the risks. Which is more of a money, Tether or Ethereum? Ethereum, oh, that's Bitcoin podcast. Ethereum, Bitcoin. Ethereum is. That's bait. This is a Bitcoin podcast, a people. Let's keep you it can, classy. Well, I think maybe I can provide an answer, and this is just me spitballing, but I'm probably going to say Tether, and it's only because that it's supposed to be backed one for one with the U.S. dollar, where Ethereum can literally implode at any minute, especially if they do, I think it's the serenity to the upgrade that's supposed to be upcoming at some point. Yeah. I, I'm I'm intrigued by that That's as, as an answer. Towards. Why, and, and why would the answer not be they're both as equally a money as the other? I guess it would be a question of which one is one the, may be a better money, secure, more secure, the better, mm-hmm. or the more reliable if, money. If, well, if the question was which one's better as a money, but which one is a money, I think the answer is that they both are money. They're both money, but I think if there's a spectrum, um, Ethereum just hasn't had the time that the U.S. dollar has had uh, as far as history. Whereas, again, Ethereum is going through a lot of rapid changes within the next couple of years. Who knows that system is going to, that, that yeah. platform is going to be in existence. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Hmm. So much of this, is this a money question? I feel like comes down to this distinction about are you talking about do you subjectively think this is a money like you personally think this thing is going to store its value over time and space and I can store the value of my work in this thing versus 
is this a thing that I think is widely accepted as yeah. a money? If we if we take the former, well then neither tether nor ethereum <laughs> are money for me and tether is definitely the better of the two options. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If I was going to get paid in something the better of two bad options, I yeah, would go for I tether. would choose tether. tether, but in terms of the time factor I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't trust Tether for like a year. I don't know if I'd trust Ethereum either. Actually, I don't know. If I had to hold on to something for a year, yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. That's a tough. One. Which it's, would I rather hold on to? So it's. I think it's a lot. It's easier for Tether to exist based on it's supposed to be a one-for-one backing. If they can somehow prove to the entire world that there's a one-for-one reserve backing with every new issuance of tether right now it's essentially the u.s dollar so now you're it's a conversation of would you rather hold the u.s dollar or would you rather hold ethereum then that becomes a bigger question yeah and couldn't the government or the sec or like whatever regulates that stuff just come out and say like something bad about tether and then yeah, that you don't have the right to issue your own that, notes. No, yeah. no one who. Yeah, like if they yeah. were just to say, no one who owns Tether should have an expectation of being paid back in mm-hmm. U.S. dollars. If they were to just say something like that, oh, that'd be. Chuck- I feel yeah, like that would over. crush. Chuck E. Cheese would go out of business <laughs> the next day. So I mean, I almost, <laughs> I almost like leaned towards Ethereum now. That's true. Because yeah. I can see the government with, uh, doing that. <laughs> with the way that Tether works, like, do people? run tether nodes or like like how how do we know how much tethers out there like who is it just operate basically just as a check the tether like ledger but you i don't think you can you can run a node but you don't have any control over it like it's, it's basically like a coin that someone yeah, else it sounds like owns. a like an you have the only way you do is an audit yeah that you have to get some accountant to go in there and prove that Yes, there's X amount of tether in existence, and yes, there's a corresponding amount of U.S. dollars in existence that yeah. are locked up in this reserve. Yeah, with the tether, like the the amount that gets issued is like publicly available. Like if that's what that's what's in all the the uh, what is it Bitfinex or whatever. Like they post all these charts. Look, somebody created um, ten million dollars, a hundred million dollars in new tether. Um, it's not backed by anything, which you can see the tether you can't see bitfinex's bank account you know so nobody has a clue um and so that's that's really what i think the difference is you can't actually see that the tether is out there but yeah you have no idea if it's backed by the dollar the only way that it makes sense to me that it works is that bitfinex releases more tether into the ecosystem depending on the supply and demand just in order to basically they adjust the supply in order to meet the demand, in order to match that one-for-one one yep. peg. Well, of they US literally dollar. just yeah, exchange. That's, they literally yeah. just exchange it, and yep. then, um, like, and then they can buy it up at below market with the money they've got in their account if right. the price ever falls. But basically, if I go to Bitfinex, I would just be like, I want ten thousand dollars in tether. I give them ten thousand dollars. They give me ten thousand tether. So, like, the worst case scenario for tether would be that they're just printing these tether from nothing not receiving anything in value for printing them yeah it, it, it and the it best case scenario is there are dollars which have been printed from nothing 
backing the tether that are issued yeah, for so, those dollars, which were printed for nothing. So every, <laughs> every time, yeah, every time they oh. print new tether, they you know need to request U.S. dollars, but they're just taking out a loan for those dollars. You know, <laughs> they're not. That's not like. <laughs> Yeah, the dollars oh, are loans anyway. I'm changing my mind to Ethereum. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, there is like you know, give Ethereum shit if you want to, but right? like proof of work right does count for something. You know, the fact that a system, no matter its flaws, is proof of work, at least currently on Ethereum. You know, I think that does actually count for something. There's also a community. There's not really a community around Tether. So like people that are willing to transact in Ethereum are, they're kind of like, they're, they believe in it. So they believe in like, it's like Patriots using the dollar. I don't know. There aren't, the only people who are interested in Tether are the ones that are printing it. I'm actually curious now, if I was selling drugs on the dark web, could I accept hypothetical? hypothetical. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought about coming up with a fake name. Um, uh, could I accept Tether? Yeah, yeah. That, oh, it's on. It's on Liquid now, right? Yeah. But okay, be, I don't want to have an account on an exchange. I want to have like a Linux machine running on you know Tornet with a Tether wallet running in my linux machine is that is that possible yeah no yeah it's it's possible and then you could do a a swap from tether to bitcoin after you sold for tether but the question is is that if uh bitfinex or you know the runners of whatever dollar token you're using find out that this is happening on the you know dark web and that you're selling drugs do you have that account still i mean they'll just freeze it so you run the risk of it's not censorship resistant money like it's probably it's better than using a bank account probably um, because they likely don't have the teams of people scrutinizing it like people do with cash or you know using a square app or something like that um, but I mean yeah certainly I mean just people do drug trades on square on you know cash app Venmo like yeah. that sort of thing I guess I was just wondering like does everyone that has a tether wallet essentially have to ask permission to have that wallet in the first place I thought it was only exchanges that had tether wallets I didn't know that individuals I mean can I just download an oh, exe that's a good file question. I don't know that's that. what I'm saying can I just yeah. download oh, a sure. program yeah, and run no it I have no idea I have no idea that's a good question cuz if not then I can't do what I said about yeah, the with the Linux yeah. box All right I feel like we. This I was under the impression <laughs> that you could. I was under the impression okay. that like there's there are just like multi coin wallets that allow you to hold USDT. Actually, doesn't a ledger let you hold USDT? Actually, yeah, but I don't know. All right, it's a good question. Do, do, do you, you do, Gary? Do you know? <laughs> I have no idea what the question is. Um, <laughs> can you hold Tether on a ledger or like a hardware wallet? Or does it just have like a normal wallet that you can just download? Anywhere? I think you could put it on the ledger, but I don't quote me on that. I'm like sixty percent. Wait a certain. second. If it's on liquid or whatever, yeah, it just means can. it's a token, a so you should, e- yeah, you should easily just be able to download it. Secu- yeah, yeah, you should be able to do that. It says secure your tether, uh, including secure your tether so using a ledger hardware wallet. So this is on their website. You can do it. Okay. All right, you can do it. All right, then I'm selling drugs for tether from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Stable coin. 
Get, um, getting back to that conversation we were having before about fiat money, since uh, we have two members here that want to talk about this, maybe. Um, I, I'm interested in what you were saying about fiat currencies and like which country it was that backed it. Because I don't, I, I don't think it matters if it's pegged to gold um, or pegged to a hard asset. When it matters, and I just see, I see the whole conversation like this. It's just there's only two reasons for something to back a currency. It's either scarcity of an asset, or it's violence. And you can have something like cigarettes in a jail, which might be a little bit of both of that. Like there might be some guy that's like, "You're using these cigarettes as money, or else I'm gonna beat the shit out of you." But those cigarettes also have to be scarce in order for that situation to work. Just like U.S. dollars have to be printed on some kind of like counterfeit resistant type of money in order to provide that kind of scarcity. And then you combine that with the violence uh, imposed by not using it. So I don't know. To me, it's just that simple. It's just like it's either natural monetary properties like scarcity, divisibility, transportability. Or it's the threat of violence, and you can make your concoction of money from those two things. Uh, that's a pretty cool concept. And, I mean, people say this a lot, but, you know, you can't solve a math problem with violence. And so, like, Bitcoin is, like, the first money ever to not have the threat of violence and be only based on scarcity. That's a pretty cool concept. I haven't thought about that. I think the one thing about the prisoner that, that's not mentioned there is the prisoner is kept in his place uh, by violence. And everybody is trapped in the monetary policy of where they were born violently. And some times the, that place you're born in will let you move money out of that country, and sometimes they won't. And uh, we're moving towards a period where universally all the uh, people, the leaders of the world are saying, no, you can't move money. And uh, you see that in China, you see that in the U.S., you see that in Europe, they're trying to take cash away. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think the only way, I think you do need the threat of violence keeping people in this system. But that's only recently, right? Like, uh, what about back in the 1900s or so when gold was pretty much a, a currency? People weren't trapped like the prisoner back then, were they? Do you, you think? I, I wonder how money was working back then. I wonder if the – you could – I mean, in some way getting taxes, if, if the currencies back then – I don't know how to explain it. Maybe there was some sort of violence back then involved issuing debts that weren't actually, there was nothing backing them, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't get paid for those gold notes you issued until tax season came around, something like that. I would say it would be part, I mean, certainly there was still violence backing, like accepting a legitimate currency in the sense that like there was still a government decreed currency, on whether it was backed by gold or not. But then there's also the kind of the tyranny and the limitations of technology is that people were stuck where they were. So you didn't have to be super violent because a small threat of violence has such a great barrier to exit that um, you couldn't you were people were going to be stuck where they were anyway um, because the cost was too high. Now, I think one of the reasons particularly it's it's fascinating and kind of a. um, I guess serendipitous in, in a way that Bitcoin exists at a time when all those technological barriers are falling away. People can just move to a different co- country. People can take their income with them. They can 
they can basically make their living entirely online. It doesn't matter where they reside um, or which jurisdiction they're in. Uh, and because of that, um, governments are trying to rebuild those barriers as quick as they can. Increase capital controls, increase invasions of privacy. You know, they're, they're trying desperately to hold on to a world that is increasingly slipping away from them. And so while they get their, while their grip is getting tighter and tighter and more expensive and their threats of violence are increasing, we now have this whole thing that's just like, I don't give a shit about any of that. Bitcoin's just here, it doesn't have a clue that any of that exists. And, um, it's, it's, it's basically proving that that old, that old mechanism, those old limitations just aren't there anymore. They're, they're, they're now false. They're now fake barriers held up by violence. I think those are real barriers held up by violence. That's very real. It's more real well, than violence ideology. Violence is a real barrier, but I mean... But violence is more real than ideology every day of the week. No, I wasn't meaning ideology. I was talking about ge geography, like a geographic barrier, is that... There used to be this an immense like wealth barrier to competing, to es to escaping, to having any sort of choice in the sense of jurisdiction or who your ruler was, um, and that barrier is falling away. And because of that, the political institutions that benefited greatly from just not having to worry about people flying the coop, essentially, um, and now that they do. They're having to re they're trying to recreate those barriers exactly with the violence that you're talking about. So, yes, certainly that is a that is a huge and very real barrier. It's just replacing one that's no longer there or is that's falling away. I, I think things are getting bad now because the Cold War is over and they don't have to be nice to us anymore. And I think that's really understated. Like there, there is no the only threat is um Islamic extremism, like Nazis, like it's these very like fringe groups that aren't don't have widespread support. And, you know, we're not going to. So there's they just have there's nothing. Uh, there's no competition for our, our loyalty besides the system that's just slowly degrading us. I think that there's too much optimism happening right now in this room. <laughs> Everybody sit down and be depressed. <laughs> It's a sentiment rarely shared among Bitcoiners, but we've managed to get there. <laughs> well, I, I, I guess I was freaked out by the the SEC headlines that I saw earlier today about how they're going to get serious about crypto. I mean, the problem with the these our leaders that at the moment are they these phony they're these phony preacher types. You can't tell the phony preacher is just going to pretend to change the law and then claim victory while having done nothing. Yeah. which is what they do half the time, or whether they're just going to harass people randomly just to terrorize the population, you know, just to make up some conviction somewhere and, you know, overwhelm the person with charges. Like, which one of those paths are they going to take? But that's the leaders we have. We don't have ones that are actually competent. One of the things upsetting about this new regulatory push is they missed when everyone was getting ripped off. When we lost billions of dollars with ICOs, they missed it. The free market has now handled the ICO problem, but it's now they're going to come and just bust up legitimate organizations. <laughs> so I, I haven't, I haven't seen that it's today. To ruin all the fun was that new stuff from today, or was that the the the, per, the, the hypothetical article. three year, uh, three year kind of? That was a Forbes article. Thing. Okay, but it, the, a statement by Mnuchin. Yeah, 
Okay, what I think about that, tell me if you know more than this, but what I think about that is that they're just going to say, oh yeah, you can't mix Bitcoin and any like legitimate exchange, any KYC exchange is not allowed to accept Bitcoin transfers from any known mixer. Is that probably what that's going to be? Do you know any? That's just my guess about what that's going to be. I I just don't. That's what I would bet. I, I don't know how far they'll go to defend the economy and take out Bitcoin. I mean, they have confiscated gold before. It's the America goes back on precedent a lot. So if they think they can just put something on the books that says you have to turn your Bitcoin and prosecute us if they don't, or we have to register it somewhere, I have no idea what they'll do. You know, the, this administration can get really aggressive when they want to. Every recent administration is a very powerful executive that is basically unchecked and uh, appointing a judiciary that's job there is to continue to keep them less checked. I think, I think the risk of that is incredibly low. And I have to admit, I was, I was nervous about the headline because, you know, it's the nature of headlines. Get me to click on it. Um, but after reading the article, it was just another, another statement, like, They've made statements like, I mean, this is like eight years running. They keep making statements and there's very minimal development. And maybe maybe they do have something, you know, big now. But I highly, highly doubt it's probably like um, Bob said um, (laughs) is is that uh, it's just uh, it's just going to be like if you're using a mixer and uh you know straight from the dark web or whatever like like you can't th- those are illegal bitcoins or you money laundered if you mixed your coins or something um and uh it, it will not be in in any sense like a blanket ban or i mean they'd have to put fidelity in jail like yeah. and gbtc i mean like the number of people that and and right now they they're in the best position possible like for them, what do they really have to be scared about Bitcoin? They're just mad about drugs, which is what they've always if been that's mad it, about. You think? Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. that's it. Like, I think doing something extreme as a ban would backfire horribly because one, the U.S. government would be validating Bitcoin's existence when they do that. Like, if you say that I don't want you to do this, it's very obvious you you, you consider that very thing to be a threat to the system itself and if you want something to die they may just try and regulate it out of existence or they may try and just make it so it becomes irrelevant because squashing a bug and everybody's seeing that you're squashing a bug has much bigger consequences because then some people will just use it out of spite like i think it would scare some of the institutions yes i think it would scare institutions from getting in but I don't think it would scare the people running the institutions. I think that's those are two two totally different things. And that the people who are running the institutions are the same people who have bank accounts in the Cayman Islands and all these tax secret tax havens. They would see it as something that, is, that they can use for as as a means of getting wealth across the world without having to worry about the government trying to pry their hands and figure out more information about what's going on here, what's going on there. Here's a follow-up question. Does the government mind the Cayman Islands, or are they actually just pretending like they care and they're all using these things? Like, Is the reality that this is for show? Yes, I I think so. I think think one, it could be, it's just incredibly hard to probably stop, but two, the very people who run the governments are the same people who are using those services. Yeah, and it's, it's 
you know, it's trivially easy to set up a an international entity in Cayman or BVI or, you know, some other, you know, tax haven entity where if you need an offshore, you know, department, you can run a PO box and set up an entity and be off and running and, you know, do business with the people that you need to do with. I mean, the thing, the quote specifically is he's angry that Bitcoin could become a Swiss bank account. What is wrong with the Swiss bank account? What's wrong with Swiss army knives, Swiss watches, or Swiss <laughs> bank accounts? They do good things. Why are we not allowed to have good things in this country? Yeah. Also, uh, like when Obama said that Bitcoin's like having a, everyone having a Swiss bank account in their pocket, there was, that's weird because you know the laws as they are allow some people, like the rich people in the U.S., to have Swiss bank like accounts. And it's yeah, it's like he was saying, oh. Swiss bank accounts should only be allowed for the rich people. Mm-hmm. Like they shouldn't be allowed for for everyone. And I feel like that's the same thing yeah. that's happening now. I mean, why isn't Mnuchin going after Swiss bank accounts directly? Yeah. Or, like I mean, that's, well, the, that's the same thing as like a credit only accredited investors can can put can risk their money in a early stage startup. The average person can buy lottery tickets. Yeah, well, you, know, you you shouldn't be trusted with thing. a private bank account. But, but I also. Bob, I think there's, I think there's, it's just hypocrisy um, all around because they did crack down on Credit Suisse and a couple of their investment banks that were, you know, helping clients essentially evade taxes. Like Credit Suisse was about to be destroyed like six years ago when they're because they were threatening to pull their license to trade on U.S. exchanges. That just that completely nicks their entire business. But I think on the other side, it's again, it's this, it's this idea of we have to separate what the institution does versus what the people behind and running the institutions do. Because the institution itself can come out and say, like Steve Mnuchin, this is bad. This is a Swiss bank account. Nobody should have this. But at the same time, I'm sure that he's finding some loopholes. He's got one. He's, ha- he's, loop- uh, he's got loopholes. He's, he's abusing. then? Essentially, it's like he's abusing the loopholes of the system in order for him to hide his own wealth from the government itself. Like, I'm pretty sure that's happening right now. So it's do as I say. And private statement, a public and private interactions. It's just do as I say, not as I do. It's well, essentially it's such that. an arrogant position to like, like just the fact that that statement doesn't have backlash is a little bit crazy because a Swiss bank account isn't like. A, 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 an account that holds cocaine like a Swiss bank account is just an account that they can't see into which is literally a declaration that how dare they have fourth, the fourth amendment is that how dare they have a right to privacy we are not going to allow the fourth amendment to actually be possible in this country we are going to shut this down I also wonder if you can even have a right to property if it's that auditable you know, if you if you're just subject to be have everything you own counted at all times, you know, midway through the year, you need is, is that really I mean, like how you, right you, you you're halfway out the door. Yeah. When I was in the car ride over here, I heard a, a news bit about Trump saying today that he wasn't sure that, you know, citizens should have end to end encryption for communications. And it's like, wait, he said that? Yeah, yeah. I I don't know the context of what he said it or anything because it was just a little snippet. But, you know, it's like so we happen to be recording this conversation. But if we weren't like in-person conversations exist. So are you saying we shouldn't be able to talk in person without it being recorded and spied on? Like, 
it's it's just out, outrageous. You know? These are all attacks on freedom. Like they're and it's absurd. The United States should not attack freedom if it is what it claims to be, you know, and instead they are. And what's really upsetting is the hypocrisy of it. As we talk about that, they have this freedom for themselves to use encrypted email to have Swiss bank accounts, but they deny it to us and they're publicly lying about it. And the problem is this eventually gets out of control where the public buys into the authoritarian anti-freedom talk and starts taking everyone's freedom away. And then you have a charismatic fascist leader who's bossing the rich around because you promoted authoritarianism for for very stupid purposes. Yeah, it's it's not really up to the like if we rely on the government to portion out our freedom, then we don't have any at all. It's really up to citizens to defend it and explore what that really means. It's never the government's like here you get this much freedom. It's always a case of constant attack. I'd say. Once it's self-ownership isn't, you, somebody can't give you self-ownership. Exactly. Yeah, you, <laughs> like, somebody yeah, can't yeah, be like, the same oh, thing you with Bitcoin. own yourself. It's the exact I allow same, you to own yourself. Exactly no, the same way as no, Bitcoin. You don't. Like, I own it's myself really difficult to give people you are Bitcoin. Here or not. <laughs> yeah, like, they have yeah. to want it themselves, yeah. whether that's greed or individualism or... That's to, slay, that's to say that the only reason you're not a slave is because I said you don't have to be one. That's what that yeah. means. Yeah, a, a very similar way of thinking about that that I kind of like to go down the line of is like the only reason you're a slave is because it's not technologically feasible for that to happen yet. Like if it were possible, you know, to track every single movement that a human makes throughout the day or every thought they have or every monetary transaction, they, yeah. Like, would you be for that? You know, would you be lobbying for that? It's like, Oh, well the only reason it's not, it's not a principled stance while we're not doing it. It's just that we can't yet, you know, and that's, that's a terrible way to go about things. My theory is that we're as free as they want us to be, almost like free-roaming livestock, that they don't need to like tell us which piece of grass to eat, but we're still going to make the money, and it, we make more money at this kind of almost a little bit of freedom, but not too much pasture. freedom. Open yeah, pasture. exactly. Well, speaking of government making money, I was, I was listening to a Rabbit Hole Recap today, and I, I, I want to open up the floor to this. I don't know if I, I did tweet about it today, but... The well, the concept is that you know the government over time has auctioned off like 185,000 bitcoins. So, how long, you know, selling at today's market price of 10,000, just for round numbers, how long would that those 185,000 bitcoins uh, fund the government if you sold all of them today at 10,000? 185,000 bitcoins. How much does that? How much operating room does that give you at the federal government level? It's like $18 billion. Yeah, it's like $18 billion. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the answer is less than three and a half hours. So you have 185,000 Bitcoin and all you get of it it's three and a half hours of operating. That is insane. The, so they're the, on a very, how big low, these very high time preference. Then. Yeah. Right? I mean, the annual budget this year is $4.829 trillion. You know, those numbers are so big, you can't even fathom them. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. almost $5 trillion now yeah. per year. It's projected to be 
a trillion dollar deficit for like the next five years or something like that. Right. Think for a moment, now that you understand the economy a little bit, especially the world economy connected by Bitcoin, how long government should be able to run off 185,000 Bitcoin, knowing there's only a 21 million supply. That should be like at least a couple of months, even with the stupidest spending imaginable. $185,000 of a $21 million supply. Yeah, out of like a portion of the yeah. economy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the, the spending today is 1.3 million Bitcoin per day. So, yeah, so 21 <laughs> days you have the entire supply. So that kind of gives you an idea of the inflation built into the system and how fast a reset could happen that it needs to be it needs to be a 10 100x reset that and it could happen very rapidly yeah. as as currency gets adopted that this this not it's just nonsense accounting practices is what i think fiat has been and when i get angry about it it is like it's kind of like i think it's fiat is almost like the flat earth movement in that it tricked everybody into a measurement that doesn't make sense and that's the the most offensive thing about it is that we've lost out on so much uh, so many people have lost out on so much of their lives being at a really terribly being part of a terribly run economy with just massive waste where your the actual hours of your day are in seemingly intentionally wasted, you know? Well, see, one of the crazy things to think about is that like debt is how they prop up demand for the currency. So the only way to prevent runaway inflation is by making sure people have to pay more by selling more debt so it's a the only way to prevent like total collapse is by making the situation slowly worse and prolonging it as long as possible because otherwise the if nobody's got any debt well then the demand immediately the, the demand to have to like constantly pay off that debt um suddenly disappears and everything that they've inflated um now is in the consumer market like now now it now it's going to like flood everywhere but as long as everybody's having to pay off debt and they can issue new debt um uh, then people have to continue to demand the dollar and it will prevent it's essentially that that very thing it will grant some degree of stability by everybody being stuck and i i do think that the one thing that's always missing is that this system can last a lot longer than many of us think um, I think that's always should be it already has like the, the yeah it has it, I would describe the system as being 300 years old I, I'm not a big progress person as that's why I'm also not optimistic about the future I think I'm you can just stagnate for it I'll remind everybody that the United States form of government was invented in biblical times that's how old republics are we think that was a big deal when we happened in eight you know 1787 I know this is President's Day fuck the presidents like fuck the kings <laughs> <laughs> temporary kings suck just as bad they've been more evil in the case of americans we've lived under presidents have been our tyrants but they were never kings they were always the king george the kings we lived under during the colonies were much better to us than our presidents have been uh dave do you think uh there's a chance that um the kings and the people that made the fiat currency you know they're just trying to do what they think is best <laughs> and they have good intentions and um Things might have like gone the wrong way, but uh, good intentions, bad incentive. Yeah, they're, they're trying to do the right thing. It just happened to not work out well. I think it's uh, you got to remember these people are really bad. Like they're <laughs> they're the people that kill their brother, kill their father to take the throne. This is how the European monarchies were made, and you know we're pretty much kind of the descendants of those wealth gains. <laughs> I've tried to because I, I try to like not be like oh the government's evil if I don't have to be. So I tried to say. 
Well, we went off the gold standard and we got the government money because, you know, the electronic age came about and we needed some electronic form of money and we didn't have Bitcoin yet. And so we just went to the electronic fiat money and then like shit just spun out of control. But I try to pretend like no one intentionally was like enslaving humanity with fiat money. I kind of that's really ignorant. I, no, see, I kind of default. Now, hold on a second. I kind of default to that way, too. You default to ignorance, so I was like, wrong. False. Um, I actually kind of default to uh, to Bob's position here, is yeah. that the vast majority, not everybody, like some people are just evil and they see a great opportunity. But the vast majority, it's and you know maybe it's like an eighty twenty rule. You know maybe it's a power law distribution. But people are a product of their environments. Like if you put them in a situation where they get rewarded for being complete assholes, they're going to turn out mostly to be assholes. If you but put then you si- have the two percent of the population that are literally sociopaths, and those are the leaders, the kings, the CEOs. No, that I are think they're running a, the country. They're not a average good people. Selection of opportunists and people who just could not care less and they found a way to gain power gain control and gain some sort of an unfair reward and they're just going to take advantage of it they don't really care what the consequences are but i think most people just actually do want to do what is right but they're in a system where they're profiting from doing something terrible and they're being told that what they're doing is great they're getting awards they get a plaque for it everybody pats them on the back so why wouldn't they do it that way? Well, I don't think that, I mean, the evil that it is, is it's degrading to live your whole life as a servant to royalty. And all mm-hmm. of our systems were adapted to fit royalty, and then slowly they've allowed that to fall back. But they still, the concept of just subservience all the way up is degrading. Um, and, the, you know, especially with the rise of authoritarianism, it's just that the there was a moment where it was in vogue to pretend like the people that run America didn't want to be European aristocrats like they've always wanted to be if you actually read history. Yeah. But <clears throat> now they're just going back to being alone. No, like, oh, we want to be globalists. We want to be European aristocrats, and we'll spend half our time in London. You know? <laughs> we'll have the Super Bowl there. <laughs> I want to be a Bitcoin aristocrat. Is that okay? You, that is okay. That is okay? We're going to have a Citadel on the moon. <laughs> peace out, everybody. We need... We need just a podunk little country to take us in. You know, America wasn't very much when it started, and we need to build a new America somewhere that's, like, cool with it. We don't need to show up and colonize a place, but somebody where you just don't have that much going on in your life right now, embrace Bitcoiners and let us come and kick it up a notch. What do you think about the lack of having new territories to explore into and to colonize those new territories? The fact that, like... GPS is mapped everything, all the countries are marked out, everything's kind of like, everybody's got their flag planted. Do you think this has an impact on this globalization thing or aristocracy that you're talking about? I mean, I think the end of colonization is overall, no, it's just a great thing, period. It's just great the colonization is as over as it is, even though it's still happening in a couple places. But... um, I don't know. You know, colonization, I don't know. There was never really any blank space on the map. You were always wiping out an indigenous culture. So I, I, I think it's hard to look past that. What? 
I don't. I guess there are it's places just what that they do chose to recognize, really. Yeah, but there have also always been migrants. You know, I think uh, the Bitcoin people could be the new migrants. They're all going to find the same awesome spot on the globe to create a new standard for freedom, and everywhere else will adopt it. But you know, maybe we just have to prove it works somewhere first. Speaking of uh, all the lines drawn, did y'all see the? Uh, um, I, I can't remember where I, where I think I saved it, but um, it was that Google Maps. Um, depending on where you log in from, uh, lines are completely different. For like, like they showed like a image of uh, Pakistan, um, and like disputed areas and stuff in the Middle East in particular, and they look nothing alike. Like it's just, it's it's the it's the Western version, it's the Northern version, it's the Afghanistan version, it's the Iraq. Do version. you know what? Like they are just the lines are different based on who they're appealing to. So if I log in wow. through a VPN right now. You can should you I can do check, like Saudi do Arabia? A, yeah, yeah, I'll try right check. now. Go, awesome. go, okay, we'll do, go we'll do an experiment. Country browsing. Yeah, I think yeah. it was India versus Pakistan, okay. and, and yeah, you look at those two places. That makes sense, though. That gets back to this like objective argument. It's like yeah. the blockchain is, is the only <laughs> thing that we know to be objective that doesn't show up differently on different people's computers. It's objective and nonviolent. It's such a great thing, you know. That's just uh, un- understated. And to allow so much money to go through in a nonviolent way, um, even like transporting gold in the Old West was like a problem. You know, it's very safe transportation. So safe that drug deals become safe. Not that we encourage that, but like we saw how that was actually benefiting people and is a harm reduction thing if you're just a pure humanist and don't don't worry about the rules that much. It doesn't work the first time. Clear the cash and reopen. So this is uh, this is something I think the Bitcoin standard doesn't touch on that is missing. Um, they talk about the sellabilities, the the three of them that we mentioned earlier: scale, space, and time. Um, but what's really missing is security, um, like actually actual confidence in that what you're getting is what you got and what you intended to receive. Um, one of the one of the guys who's not here at the meetup helped me sell some. Um, What's his GPUs. name? Um, Henri. Henri, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Henri uh, helped me sell some GPUs, and um, by the way, shout out to Henri for doing a hell of a job on that. Appreciate the shit I sold him like twenty minutes. Um, so the the gentleman caller who would the would be purchaser. Uh, insisted, despite being a minor, on paying with a check. Now, I'm not trying to be a shit-ass. I'm not trying to shit on anyone's good time. Uh, but I had some moral uh, oppositions to accepting a, a, a check from anyone, especially some... Not for something I couldn't get back. Yeah, not for something I couldn't get back and from some dude I don't know. Um, and there's a really simple solution to it. Just, like, send the Bitcoin... Like there's, I didn't even have to worry about it. Like that, we could just solve this problem. I could be certain that you're going to give me what I'm actually owed, and for the full correct amount, if you just sent Bitcoin. And sellability and security is something that, and and maybe it's addressed, and I just don't recall. But either way, that's the one thing that I love about Bitcoin. Like I don't have to in business. I don't have to worry about a bad check. I don't have to worry about a wire or that other shit. So in this example, you physically had the GPUs like locally, and yep. you had to like either give them in person or ship them to this Correct. person. I think yeah. For the sake of the example, let's say you shipped them. Yep, that is correct. Okay. UPS. But you gotta track your number if you need it. This is something that I've always struggled with in, you know, transacting over distance in Bitcoin is if he, if he pays by check 
and you end up not shipping the things, he can cancel the check. Correct. He can also cancel the check if you do ship them. Correct. But when he pays with Bitcoin, you know, he's paying you in, in anticipation of you actually shipping the goods. But you might not actually do that. So there's, there's one side of the equation that is always at risk of being scammed. Even when you're paying with Bitcoin, right? It's just yeah. you're talking about at a distance. Yeah, B- Bitcoin doesn't solve that problem. It doesn't solve like the, it's only solved yeah. by so, a, either a third party trust system or um, like so in the case like a bank or eBay would be your escrow. Which this is, is what counterparty is. risk. Is the it's specific risk. the specific exactly. risk? If you want to look up the term, yeah. it's counterparty risk. Yep. Yeah. So um, that, that's exactly uh, so. Counterparty risk is a is a factor in any long distance transaction. But the idea of being able to, um, and so when I was talking to Henri about this, uh, about this issue, and I hate that he's not here because this could have made a really interesting topic because he had some very defined opinions about it. But taking a negotiable instrument, taking a check from someone is a lot more risky than them just saying, hey, I'm going to cancel that check after you deposit it. There's a lot of other things that can go wrong with accepting a check. And you don't have that with Bitcoin. Like in, in this counterparty risk situation i always called it like who's going to be the bitch like that's that's who's going to be the guy who's going to be likely to be put out the most it's a buyer beware situation yeah and uh and that's a difficult thing but i think bitcoin definitely definitely for um geographically um specific transactions if you know if i'm here with you when that transaction confirms when, when we have some uh, some confirmations behind us. I'm 100% confident. Like it just it just exits my mind. The stress just washes off me. Think and I don't have to think about it anymore. But the check is not that way at all. Regardless of the properties of Bitcoin, if we had that confidence with the dollar, it would be great for the economy. If you could have that sort of finality, why we have such a degraded system? It, it's clearly a product of compromise, and it doesn't work very well at this point. Yeah, but I, I think that also goes back to the the issue of just gold. You know, where this came up in the, the the conversation last week. If you were paying me with some like a piece of gold, I would need to be certain that the gold that you were giving me is actually gold and not some fool's gold, fool's gold, or yeah. lead that's just gold plated or some other you know shenanigans that someone would pull. Um, I can be one hundred percent certain that I'm getting a bitcoin. What's yeah. really cool is that like. Lightning actually increases that assurance in the short term, uh, decreases it in the long term, but increases it in the short term. Can you explain what what you mean by that? Yeah. I because think the word here is verifiability. By the way, do what verifiability? Yes. Verifiability and assay assayability or whatever is like, which he does talk about in the book, like sometime later. Can't remember when. Um, but uh, are we on are we on chapter two? We held chapter two. Okay, um, but uh, but that lightning, <laughs> but that uh, lightning, you actually own the keys immediately because your confirmations are based on how long you've been holding that channel. Um, whereas when you receive Bitcoin, even though I, there's, it would have to be an enormous amount of money for me to not just accept zero comp. You know, like somebody sent me to, it's like, yeah, okay, that's gonna happen. Like the the amount of trouble that you would have to go through to undo that transaction. If it was like a hundred dollars, I could never care less. Like it'd just be like, yeah, I got Bitcoin. But what's funny is that like I actually have greater assurances with Lightning because like if my my uh, uh, time lock or whatever is like three days or whatever in the span of like a minute, I know I immediately have the key. Like 
immediately. I have to actually be away from my phone and logged off the internet for a full three days to have any concern that it might not be there when I get back, you know? Um, so in the context of holding your keys, actually really hold them quicker uh, with Lightning. I think this um, concept of verifiability is really interesting because it kind of depends on uh, how a person is raised and what kind of skills they have in order to be able to verify something. Like, I'm like you. I don't trust anything that's not a Bitcoin transaction, really. But if it's a Bitcoin transaction and I can see it, I trust it. You know, you can send me a million dollars and I'm like, that's legit, you know. But somebody who was born 20 years ago would probably be better at determining whether something was real gold or fool's gold. Whereas I would have no idea how to determine like the different kinds of gold. So like how we verify something is, is partly dependent on our culture and stuff. You know, I mean, today I would say the average person can't do either, right? Couldn't verify gold or a Bitcoin transaction, (laughs) which is weird. Like the average person cannot verify any real money. Any real money. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, technically, they. I guess the bank. The banks. Yeah, that's the. You trust that, the bank. That, yeah, that's their form of verification. Is yeah. they deposit their money at a FDIC insured bank, right. and they're they're with a degree of certainty that they're going to get paid because those banks are subject and bounded by laws. Right. So, so I, I guess what I mean is. Uh, it's not verifying themselves. Yeah. Yeah. unique yeah. or self-sufficiency of verification or something like that like the, the asset nature of it like the fact it, that yeah. you can do it like right. you don't have to worry about someone else doing you're it. trading verification for trust yeah that's what it comes down to yeah. it's like and and you know what what is even more interesting to me about this this whole idea of not trusting checks and trusting bitcoin implicitly is this idea that if you're buying something bitcoin or cryptocurrency related and you want to pay with a check it just raises one's cockles even more. Um, like you get even more nervous about it. Yeah, at least I do. No, yeah, that's that's like a that's a red flag immediately. Yeah. like you're in the Bitcoin economy and you, and you want to pay with the least reliable yeah. payment mechanism for anything related to Bitcoin. I'm like, yeah, yeah. that's smart. Yeah. I mean, as as a purchaser, that's smart. Yeah. You know, I think it's understated how much fiat is a network. And so that, let's say you have four different bank accounts of four different banks. There are lots of scenarios where all of your money is taken from you at once or frozen simultaneously. It, it's not like these the, your bank accounts are actually independent. They're all connected. And I think we need to remember that, that what a vulnerability that is. And that's part of why they were angry at the Swiss bank accounts is that you suddenly have some actual – an actual real bank account that's not part actual of this, sovereignty. Ne- this compromised, insecure network of wealth. I got a kick-ass story for you guys. It actually happened today. And um, so there's a new formal ethics opinion that came out from the state bar that says lawyers cannot hold Bitcoin in trust for clients. Just verboten. Not allowed to do it. So. Wow. Yeah. So uh, it's really fucking scary. Wait, does this impact uh, that guy that has a business for doing that? Yeah, totally. He's pretty much fucked. Um, <laughs> How so, did you just now mention this now? Yeah, because because it's it's been coming down the pipeline. But let me get let me get to the nuts and bolts of the story because this involves exactly what you were just talking about, Fred, Dave, Dave, Dave. 
Uh, question mark? He was so, Dave last week. I think he should be Fred this week. Fred. Okay, so Fred, you just mentioned, like, <laughs> hey, you've got these multiple bank accounts. Someone can come seize your shit, right? Yeah. Um, we had to go down to the uh, Wake County Sheriff's Department for a client that had passed away. But before he passed away, a bunch of his assets were seized as part of a, part of a case. Now, at the risk of um, trying to be as generic with the information as possible, um, it was a computer. And we went down and we managed to figure out the passcodes to get in. And uh, we copied the... And, and it was passcode protected, interestingly enough, but not very good opposite. How did you get those passcodes? Um, very, very sneaky, sir. <laughs> was the password 1234? Damn it, it was! <laughs> you said Panther too. That's the first one I tried. Um, so I actually didn't go. One of the other lawyers in the office went. I uh, went down there. Uh, sheriff's deputy looks over his shoulder. The the sheriff department's lawyer is standing behind them, and they have seized this property as part of a case. We come down with thumb drives, and we're going to copy everything off. And we just did a bunch of star dot jpeg star dot doc searches, and pulled all of that stuff out onto a hard drive. Get back to the office, and sure as shit, Bitcoin backups. Seed words. We're holding it, and we're in violation of the law. Oh man. That's that's it. We had no. We just copied everything in bulk from seized computers, and now we have to self-report to the bar. This is everything wrong with seizing people's shit and forbidding lawyers from holding Bitcoin. So in that situation, could you call your friend and say, "Hey, I'm I'm about to," you know? Did you notice that now that you know this law exists, and if this situation happens again, what would you do differently? Just read 23 of the 24 words and then, and then stop. Play, and, then and then you play uh, charades. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. And then you play charades for the last word. How do you dispossess yourself from the, from the coins at this point? You've seen the seed words. Yes. So this actually brought up a really interesting point. Um, we are having in Charlotte, uh, Thursday and Friday, a CLE conference for estate planning um, lawyers. Uh, one of the attorneys in the office is putting Everyone's on... welcome. Donuts and coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's about 300 lawyers going to be going to this. Uh, one of the attorneys from the office is a keynote speaker, and he's talking about uh, estate planning and Bitcoin. And that is the hour-long presentation. We have created Bitcoin um, ad- addresses. We've deposited small amounts of Bitcoin into an actual Bitcoin address, put the 24 seed words on these things that we're going to stick to a bunch of people's chairs underneath their seats. And then in the middle of the presentation, we're going to say, hey, early. underneath your chair... Uh, go ahead and, uh, and check if you've got this thing stuck to the bottom chair. If you, too, if you do stand up, do you mind holding that for me for a few moments while I wrap up the presentation? And I'm going to come back to this at the end. If they all agree, they're holding it in trust. And I'm hoping to get one of the guys, we're going to try and find out where he's sitting, who was on the ethics committee that voted this law in, and get him to hold Bitcoin in trust. And then we're going to flay his ass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> please, please, please give us an update. I would really like please. to be there. Yeah, dude, that's that's a type I cannot stand laws like this where it is impossible to comply, even if you want to. Like, say somebody has a not, you know, their their diary, and you know, there's scattered throughout. There's some seed words in there, and you don't that, even know is that, that your th- method. No, no. Let's say the first word of every third Dear line. Dear diary, my boat has a... <laughs> but anyway, like, 
you know, those types of situations, they're just so ridiculous, and it makes everyone a criminal. Yep. And when everyone's a criminal, you you know, society just so, crumbles. So we went through this exercise in our office, making up all the different ways that we could put seed words um, onto stuff, thumb drives, on, on paper, on computers. You can put a seed word practically anywhere. Can can I just hand that guy my seed words? Yeah. So if you and gave then a lawyer if I if I give that drive, that specific guy that you want to want to have open them or look at them. Yeah. So this is more of I don't want to say a publicity stunt, but this right. is a point to illustrate how ridiculous this law is. Yeah. And that it has to it has to be undone. Mm. I mean, you, you if you eliminate lawyers' ability to hold Bitcoin and help people hold Bitcoin or to manage Bitcoin for people with their estates. People are not going to be able to deal with Bitcoin. Well, you, you would have to. Sorry, you just, you would probably have to hire some sort of either accounting firm or some other entity that's not that doesn't have to be responsible under that law yeah. in order to hold the bitcoins for in the place of you holding the bitcoin in trust for them. Yeah, so, so that's a, a lot of new of, jobs created. <laughs> you know what? What is, what is the, one the title? I'm not okay with that. <laughs> I think it's a problem to like the the real kind of source of that, like kind of the the seed of that sort of issue is the fact that the government is involved in all of these things it has nothing to do with. Like, like it's literally trying to write a law about from a position that like they could not be more ignorant about what they're writing about. Yeah. Like, it's to suggest that someone needs to be. Every sort of expert that we just need a stack of billions of experts standing in the government so that we can nanny state every single thing that happens and every single good and sort of asset. And that here's this new technology and we don't know the first thing about it, but we're just going to use terminology that was useful 100 years ago and try to try to make laws about it. So one of the interesting things that came out of our... um the conversation with the, the chair of the committee uh, who happens to work at a insurance company for lawyers. Mm-hmm. You can see some of the parody involved in an insurance, uh, the head of an insurance department coming to head a committee dealing with Bitcoin is kind of interesting. Well, now to you me. need insurance for that. Well, they won't let you have insurance. They don't want to insure against the loss, which is why I think they, they want to do it. But they hired a consultant to come in to be a part of the committee, some guy out of Charlotte who was a, and I'm going to just kind of give you the exact quotes, quote, blockchain expert. Oh, oh let me hear who, about this. Who oh, told them, and the, 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 the straw that broke the proverbial advice. camel's back was that he gave them a statistic. And man, statistics suck sometimes. Sometimes. But they, they uh, this this dude or dudette, I'm not sure in the gender, so I'm just going to hate across the board, um, is that 30% of all Bitcoins are lost. How would how would one even know that? He's taking probably something from chain analysis and getting it wrong, but even chain analysis doesn't know how many yeah, Bitcoins it's are. It's estimates. The, the, the range Nobody knows. That's, the, that's the end. The end game is you have to treat every... UTXO as it can be spent at any moment in time. It's the whole point of money. Yeah, and not only that, like you're including Satoshi's coins in that, um, which may or may not be lost, but we're considering them not spent. Like, but to suggest that like this is this is going to manage this is going to manage. We're going to use this statistics to manage how you're going to hold your funds. 
Yeah, no, that's ridiculous. I think of the sunk ships at the bottom of the ocean and that you shouldn't accept gold on the same principle. Think of all those lost doubloons. How many? How much of the gold supply has been lost? True. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should become a, a consultant for... A blockchain expert. Just give us a lower percentage. Like, 20. <laughs> I mean, honestly, one of the things about this group is everyone in here is is the peak of what being a blockchain expert is. Even though you could go deeper into a specific field, so you could become a infinitely better uh, in- encryption expert than anyone in this room is capable of, that doesn't make you a blockchain expert overall or Bitcoin expert overall because you've gone too deep into one specific aspect of Bitcoin. You can't go that deep into encryption and actually understand Austrian economics. At the same way, someone who goes all the way deep into the economic principles isn't going to know how the code under underlying it works on a very deep level. And that's, the idea that these experts, it just pisses me off because I know what an expert in this field actually is, and I know the extreme limitations of it. Yeah, yeah. that's true. It's weird to be an expert in something too much. It's like you have to be well-rounded to be an expert in Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah you have to be somewhat yes. of a, a generalist. I've yes. been thinking about a so lot. It's disciplinary. You don't yes. really get yeah. it if you don't yes. get it from a bunch of different angles. Yeah. Right? And I've, I, I've been thinking about this one in, in regards to the division of labor lately. I feel like the division of labor has some kind of trade-off to it. Like the vision of labor for an economy doesn't work to the extreme where everybody just specializes and specializes and specializes. Like there's a point where you have to generalize. Yes. Like I I almost feel like our economy as a whole has reached the point where people have specialized too much. Yeah. Like management. Management is actually one discipline. I don't know if you call it discipline, but – in order for like to be an executive, you have to think about marketing, you have to think about finance, you have to think about operations, you have to think about strategic thinking of what the company could look like, what are the pitfalls. Like that type of stuff takes a multidisciplinary approach to it versus there's somebody who's sitting in front of Excel, you know, pressing XY, XY, copy, paste all day. That's a specialization. So I, I agree. I think the economy itself is moving in that direction where it's beginning to prioritize generalist generalists more because they're able to be flexible and move with the times and how things change. Like being a specialist in, you know, I don't know what, what particular field, but if you like, there's no guarantee that a particular field that exists today is going to last. Gonna last. Yeah. There's no guarantee anymore. So you have to be a generalist now. But what's funny is that there's um, – I actually think a lot of this has to do with – it's kind of a consequence of academia. I actually think the market is to some degree – there is always going to be specialization specifically because of the division of labor. But I think that is explicitly in those things that people master. That, But to master something in – in a great degree, you also have to be a generalist to know your thing from many different perspectives. Um, and that knowing how to apply it, not just in this one place, but to have a general knowledge and be able to see where you can connect it to this whole different industry that you didn't think about is what makes you a really good specialist. Um, and it's because you have minor knowledge of industries A, B, and C, even though you're specialized in industry D, you know where how it interacts with A. 
you know where specifically B is going to affect D. Like, like you know, like those things and you, you can share that knowledge. But I think a lot of this, again, actually comes from academia. Academia is incredibly separated and closed off and multidisciplinary people are actually frowned upon in academia. It's not like, oh, this physics person should write a book on history. It's that don't you dare write a history book. That's my department. Yours is physics. Um, and so you get this natural separation through our entire schooling. And then people think that's how the real world works. No, if you don't know, if you don't know some degree of physics, you might completely misinterpret history. It's you know? interesting like, when you say that, because the, the censorship of language in general starts with academia right now. And part of it is they just don't want ideas from another discipline to come into their discipline and disrupt it while they still have tenure positions on bullshit in their particular discipline. It's been disproven because all the work's redundant. We already know that this doesn't work anymore based on logical fallacies that another uh, discipline figured out and you're refusing to apply it to your own field of study. And then it expands everywhere else and gets truly absurd where social media is just censored by academics at this point. How um, mad is academia that Bitcoin didn't come from academia? When it's successful, they'll be very, very mad. Bitcoin when, did not come from a government, deny. a company, or academia. So all those institutions are just pissed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, everything good has to come from one of those. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think there's a general sentiment that, and again, maybe this is a consequence of academia, but that like all the great achievements of mankind come from like directed, explicit study and research, and that's not the right. case. It's not the case at all. I mean, it's the just r- random experimentation, yeah, random. Yeah. exploration. Like it's just like, yeah. well, let me see what the hell happens here. What could I do with this? Yeah, that's like, where the huge change comes from. Yeah, like but think of like the philosophers back in the day with like Aristotle. Like he was a political. He, like he, if you think about some of the stuff that he's wrote, is from poli sci to astronomy to um you know the relation between people amongst sociology like there it covers so many different that guy disciplines was a beast. Yeah. Aristotle was a beast yeah. so like it those type of people back then they didn't think of it as they didn't think of anything as like like econ only deals with this like econ touches a lot of different you know disciplines as well and once you begin to not think of it only applies in this context but you can think much bigger and say well really anything can be considered this then you pull in all these other disciplines and then it begins to make sense like nothing is siloed that's just how we've learned how to that's just how we've learned how to understand things but the reality is the world doesn't care doesn't have a silo for math and a silo for econ and a silo for poli sci like everything is interconnected yeah, I think that there is, once religion kind of got attacked um, during the Renaissance, I talk about the Renaissance too much, that <laughs> the the same sort of dogmatic, uh, there's almost a need for dogma in society, even though it's a bad thing. And the dogma went from everyone practicing the same religion to education, which everyone practiced. And then the people who took over this just started censoring it and becoming obsessed with language and... Um, just attacking each other like crazy. And I think that the the people who in academia now would have been the bad priests that eventually caused like the Protestant Reformation. I'm really glad that I left academia right now. (laughs) Do you think we're in a new kind of enlightenment 
new kind of renaissance right now? I, I do. Unfortunately, the thing that works... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind you of this whenever you go on these rants about how all the world's Everyone's going to hell. We're going through an enlightenment. <laughs> but I'm going to remind you that you believe we're in a renaissance. Well, here's, here's my concern is I think uh, the, lots of people got killed in the renaissance. Like Sir Walter Raleigh got killed and we live in Raleigh, you know? <laughs> like good people that were very innocuous Bad got killed. Bad you, just and it's uh, when you have that sort of huge social upheaval, just crazy things happen. Yeah. And justice gets Unstable out of time. control. Yeah. Violence always accompanies that sort of a shift um, yeah. uh, in great degree. Um, I think um, I, got, I like calling it like a renaissance and like a new enlightenment. But I have grown. Uh, I think it was actually the last time I was here that like this idea kind of hit me. And I've been kind of exploring from this perspective and saving notes and little tidbits that seem to keep backing it up. But I really like love thinking about it and the idea that we're going through like a great disillusionment that um, uh, the, the analogy I gave last time was that we really did have this one cohesive narrative, even though it was wrong. Like, we at least could all agree on it. And now it's just breaking apart and we have thousands of narratives and no one knows what to believe because we only believe what we did before because everybody else did. Could, could you describe what, what you think, like, what, what the universal agreement was around, like, just broadly? America. Just nationalism, like, of, of like, just kind of the the typical idea of, like, what was, like, sovereign, like, how to think of the world. Like, this is a co- competition between nations. Like how the world wars, works. Like, okay. like I, just what, the frame yeah. of reference for what is happening in the world. And now, it's like, that's not, that's not what it is anymore. Yeah, I think what happened is everyone was like, everything's going to get good. It's just going to keep getting better and better because democracy and free markets are just going to solve everything. And we've since realized that we, we don't live in a democracy and this isn't a free market yeah. and we don't know what to do next <laughs> because it's it, we've just had the rug pulled out from under us. <laughs> Curtains got pulled back. Yeah. Um, like even like questioning what like what is currency, like those type of discussions probably would be have been relegated to, you know, people in a room like this, just a small amount of people discussing it. But now that's actually a conversation that you're seeing taking place on CNBC when they when people are debating the merits of Bitcoin, of whether it's a currency or not. Why is it not a currency? And what gives the U.S. dollar value versus why can't we give the same thing for Bitcoin? And things just get a lot murkier. Because before there was a clear answer. There was a clear answer for everything. Um, but now we're in, like you said, in the era where things are not so clear. Things are actually a lot more gray than they are black and white. And you kind of have to decipher and sift through it to understand what's going on. Yeah, I, I think uh, the oligarchy is falling apart in that. And I, when I talk about the oligarchy, I don't mean just not just because you're rich doesn't mean you're part of an oligarchy. I think I think I'm starting to narrow it down to the people that are sabotaging the free market and rigging things and like running the printing press and giving themselves the money. The people that do not actually want a free market is what I'm talking about. The oligarchy and they they they've sabotaged politics to the point where nobody even trusts their own party to do what they say they're going to do. Like and also everyone's been tricked into hating the other party. So there's just that's already messed up. And the, the final thing that's falling apart is is the media. Once the once the mainstream media goes away, there is no universal storyline at all. 
everybody's in silos and it's it's a this chaotic thing that's coming but you know with social media falling apart and people are just going to stop going to the big news channels it's going to be crazy it's going to be absolute chaos yeah i think i i came to this this that conclusion just this possibility that if civilization is a market and it's and civilization's bubble you know the roman empire bubbled and it popped i think that western civilization the bubbles popped i think it'll take a hundred years or more for it to reach the bottom but yeah this disillusionment as as the species we exist in tribes and in these tribes as we said they have narratives they have themes we're we are not formed and our psyche our psyche isn't developed to think in the decentral to behave and interact in a decentralized manner while i agree that it's good it's as a group in a globalized world if we have nothing to cling to as a whole it's going to be social chaos i mean and the chaos is an extreme word and that can look very different you know we're not killing people like sir walter raleigh but we're like canceling people on social media or whatever that is so you're going to be socially ostracized and i've i've kind of in a in a way felt untethered is the word that no pun intended to a previous conversation but uh, really like just floating like what are what are we attacking okay religion used to be used to dominate culture and everybody could kind of coalesce around that but that that's gone now what is society going to attach itself to technology to AI. bring itself together well i think it's so. going to be that i think we're we're in the midst of people are moving to exactly those things but i think it's a breakdown of the large collective for the small like we will be smaller communities we will be smaller tribes that that we can attach to something that is closer to us that's closer to home i mean bitcoin is my country you know like like yeah like i lost one but like i've got that thing i've got this community i wouldn't know any of you people i would like you know like i mean i don't know of any other way that we would bump into each other and hang out for an extended period of time unless we had this common what do you mean we met at the furry party <laughs> <laughs> just bad opsec bad um, opsec the sound money badger yeah. <laughs> uh, but i mean like seriously like you guys place. are my community you guys are my tribe now so leroy to your point on what leroy <laughs> you know what people are going to cling to and what they're going to be interested in after you know this kind of thing we're doing changes or advances i sent a link around to some people so if you want to pull it up on your phone but it's just a renaissance painting uh and the name of the painting is the money changer and his wife from 1514 from uh quentin matisse and basically it's a it's a man and wife sitting at a table and the husband is a money changer and you know he's got his scales and his coins and everything on the table and the woman you know she's distracted and her attention is drawn to the to the coins that he's weighing and counting and changing but her hands are occupied on on a bible in front of her and she's you know flipping the page of the bible and we we talked about this at church on sunday and basically it's you know it's it's her being her attention being drawn away from you know the important quote you know the important thing 
in her life was religion and to this new economy and this new, you know, accounting system and this new, you know, thing that's, that was new in that point. Um, and I think it's just, it's kind of, uh, hinting at the risk you run of losing what's really important to you, you know, whether it's a Bible or whether it's your family or whether it's friends or, you know, community or whatever, you know, replace that with whatever is important to you. And I kind of feel like just we're so early on in this Bitcoin experiment and Bitcoin happens to be money that it's kind of confusing looking at this painting to think that like, are we being led away from the real thing of importance in our lives at this point? I think it's like, it's like if you need to eat, that's the most important thing. And then you can worry about the money later, you know? So like what we're worrying about the money right now so we can do all that other stuff later. Yeah. As far as like a, uh, I guess from my personal perspective is I, I kind of think the opposite has happened is like I've found something meaningful where like what I what I held on to before was really shallow like like and like now I've got something that embodies first principles and protects my family and like is is ours like it's it, like it, it is a part of the ultimate local me and my independence and what I stand for in my life and all of those things. Whereas before it was just this ethereal, like it was just, it was just out there. Like it, it wasn't really connected to me. It was just things, this thing I believed because everybody did and it was there, you know, like it was, it was just the thing that everybody else pressured me into rather than something I decided, you know? Yeah. Um, getting back to the, like the narrative thing, do people need this narrative to believe in? I struggle with that personally because I just feel like I'm not the kind of person that identifies with narratives. And like, I don't even read fiction. I, I can't even get into a story because like, I don't understand what that means. Like, okay, someone comes up with a fictional story about some thing that happened and then they end up beating their chest over it and like being proud about a narrative. And I just like, None of that shit resonates with me at all. I, I'm like, like, do I have something to eat? Like, is something <laughs> funny? Like, you know, like I, I'm not. I don't beat my chest over anything. And I'm wondering, like, is that, is that me? As like, am I actually not a good person? No, I think because I, I don't need that. No, I, I like that perspective because I do think we've all been tricked into this common narrative that's not real. That something has happened over the last twenty years when it hasn't. Just our individual lives have progressed. But overall, not, there is not a storyline. This has not been a big movie that's been going on. Things have kind of just continued about, just like they've always continued about. And I think it is the the, the stories we put onto it probably are just there so that we can be displaced of the fruits of our labor into the hands of a few rulers and give some justification to that result. You need a storyline to explain why that's happening. Why don't I get to keep my money? And <laughs> once once the common storyline falls apart, they probably won't be able to successfully do anymore. Maybe I just, I just distinguish between storyline and, you know, some kind of reason. Yeah, I mean, okay, so so someone waving the flag and, and beating their chest, that to me is in a completely different world of narrative than like, you know, some kind of economic reason for why you can't have your money. 
um, I guess I was just getting back to uh, what was his name again for Leroy's point about like the anthropology of like tribes having stories and stuff that they believe in. Um, I don't, I, I don't know whether I feel like that's not going to be the case anymore or whether I just feel like I'm an alien. I think, I think there is a story around someone like Jeff Bezos that says why he's a hero of society, you know? And I like to call out Jeff Bezos for doing something disgraceful, which is to have his beggars come on TV and beg for contracts and beg for money from the government. And it's upsetting that the richest man in the world can pay a C-level executive to go on CNBC and beg for money. But that's what he's doing. It annoys me when homeless people are on the street begging for money. Begging? And it's particularly disgraceful when you go to get all these degrees and move up an executive ladder and you're just on TV begging for money. I think that an Amazon executive could go fuck himself <laughs> and it's pathetic and it's a shameful life. We need uh, a more context. Can you explain a little bit what happened? Just Amazon's always want subsidies whenever they want to move into a new city. They're like, I need a hundred million dollars to move here. And that's begging that our rich people have paid beggars and they're so obnoxious that our richest man in the country is at begging for a hundred million dollars at a time, on TV to all of us at once. So to me, the idea that there's a thing called a hero is just weird. There's a thing called a bitch, like- and a bitch <laughs> is when you work for the world's richest man as a beggar because you get paid ten million dollars to be a fucking beggar. But he's a well-paid bitch. I know, but we need to we need to stop being led by shameful characters. You should have the character to not do this. Like, the, the fact our characters have been so degraded by pathetic people like this moving up in the world, we live under the tyranny of these weak honor students that have just sold us all out. God, I, I hate when I end up agreeing with Dave. <laughs> I totally agree Direct with you, but I, I, I think it's because you're right in like mainstream America. They're just looking for some kind of story about whether Amazon is like a good company and whether this guy like is a good man. The story is we're number one. That's the whole story It's a bunch of mini stories along the lines of America's number one. And um, I think people realize that that's not the case of their own lives, which is why the the common story has to kind of just fade into the background is something that like isn't useful to us anymore. Yeah. Um, Yes. I think, yes. I think there is a understanding that, there is something wrong with America. Um, whatever that reason is, it could be you know, that you know there's these oligarchs that have immense amount of power, or we have these endless wars going on in other countries. But whatever that curtain that was blinding a lot of us has kind of been pulled back now, and now we're kind of faced with this idea of reckoning what's going on. So I got no problem with Jeff with Jeff Bezos getting. Um subsidies to uh, build his mega complexes oh my god no no problem at all um it stimulates the economy you know, it's good for jobs <laughs> i mean i don't know what you could say against that jeff pezos i think he's just a good guy he's, i mean all american <laughs> i mean yeah. like, no, I, ball is, is beautiful really <laughs> there's really a simple ripped. reason why the scam works and it's perpetuated so well is that um, it, it, it's not the C-level executive that's the, 
the back alley dumpster bitch. It's it's the local politicians that are really just motivated to get on their knees and service those C-level execs that are just so desperate for a little more power, another year, sitting that on 1, that... 1,000 job headline. Yeah, if I can bring these 1,000 jobs to, to my little town, or my little county, I can get guaranteed that I'm going to be the county commissioner again. That's all it is. That's, that's the game. They're playing to that. But we need to do that. We can do it better. Fuck Jeff Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. There, there is these very weak, these weak lords. Everyone saw Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. You remember that guy that just kind of has a bridge and all these ugly daughters? That's what a politician is. Like they're yeah. just desperately trying oh. to marry off these these the phrase. Fray, this, the phrase. Yeah, yeah, the phrase. They've just got this weak kingdom where they're like, "Oh, I want to be the politician." And you realize how weak that actually is. That you're just doing HUD contracts, and then you're like, "Oh no, Jeff Bezos cares that I exist," and you get so excited, and maybe they're gonna you're gonna get this arranged marriage, and it doesn't work out every time, and you know, and then you know, AOC comes along. Is angry. <laughs> All of this stuff to me is it falls under the category of marketing and advertising and just selling a narrative. I mean, how many people here have met Jeff Bezos in person? How do we have any idea what that guy is like? I mean, how many of us work for Amazon? How how like I my I say working for Amazon gives you any idea of what his yeah. principles or values are like i mean like right a, a company that has twenty thousand employees how distant can you be yeah like, my i feel like we're in this world where every everybody just wants to live in the hyper real of the stories of the twitter narratives of this this stuff and no one wants to talk about where they actually work you know, it's like I, I want to live in the world where people are like, hey, I work for Amazon and this is my experience. And then that's what we go on. But someone could like have all this knowledge, like working for Amazon, but choose not to tell anybody about this and then to choose to talk about all the stuff they heard about the coronavirus. Right. Which because they, they have no idea. Which they have no idea. Yeah. It's like. No one talks about the things that they have direct experience with anymore. Well, it's because their you know, opinions that's are so their own. weird. And they've got an employment contract. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. That gets Yeah, I find it fascinating that we're all nodes passing along certain bits of information. And, you know, sometimes these are memes. But, yeah, just the coronavirus. Everyone wants to give you the updates of what just happened. Everyone just read the same article. And as everyone's like, did you see this? Did you see this? Oh, confirmed, confirmed, confirmed. <laughs> Uh, my mom teaches uh, three-year-olds uh, Chinese, actually. So I've got the source. I've got the direct link. My, does, my, does she know Chinese? Uh, no. She <laughs> 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 no, but the kids tell her in English what's really happening with the coronavirus. So I got, I got the download, guys. <laughs> the three-year-olds are leaking it. It's a reliable source. The, I like the it. craziest thing I couldn't... The Hi, Bang. The biggest note item that I saw happening recently that I wasn't participating in was the Baby Yoda meme. And just watching this, <laughs> I don't accept that Dude, transaction. I, that totally I don't accept this transaction. Too. Keep moving. Keep moving. But I probably got it from 50 different notes. <laughs> but by accepting, could you pass along the information and still not accept it? Yeah. yeah. I became so you could just one retweet with the baby it, but you know nothing about having it. any idea yeah. what it was from. <laughs> exactly. What is that? Is that called LARPing? <laughs> you, you, you think you're in on the joke, but you're not? 
You're just like you're pretending. I think so. LARP is live action role play. So everybody's LARPing all day long. Oh, you're out of it, man. You didn't get that Baby Yoda transaction come to your node? I find that hard to believe that that never got to you. I, I don't even know what it is. Baby You've never y- heard of Baby Yoda. Do you Twitter? I know what Baby Yoda is. I just don't understand like, what it has to expect from it. I feel like I'm missing something. Just a meme. Oh, uh, no, just the fact that human tra- beings choose to talk about certain things, and it seems like they'll at certain topics will break through, and a bunch of people will, will try to talk to you about no the same subject yeah. matter. And the last one mm-hmm. I saw that really went crazy was the Baby Yoda one. Yeah, it's just how everybody was trying to connect on this one thing that was really interesting to see. I don't yeah. think it's I think it's a cool thing, but uh, but it's just interesting that there's something psychological about wanting to pass along information. I think it has to do with hey, I just found some food back and and you know down this path, and that everybody has a natural uh, inclination to pass that information along. Except for now, that inclination is more about virtue signaling than it is about some actual food. I reject that reality and substitute it for my own. The Earth's only 6,000 years old. <laughs> That's funny. We are. Um, there, there's an article. I haven't read it in full, but I skimmed it and I, was, I immediately saved it. And I was like, oh, I've got to dig back into this one. Um, there's probably a really great point in there to add from this article that I haven't read yet. Um, but uh, it's all about like networks and how. We the the millions of different ways that we are connected to networks that we don't see, um, and that we don't think about, and how like stuff moves through those networks, and um, and it's really funny that like in the age of um, like the internet of like cyberspace, is that we're constantly looking for those social cues and trying to get that social payoff that allows us to live successfully in a small tribe, except that we're doing. We're, we're we're seeking it from people that are so distant from us that it's meaningless. You know, like we're it's the same evolutionary response that we're latching onto, but it's from somebody that I've never seen, I'm never gonna see again. Like like they're on the other side of the world. You, you know, like why do I care? I've just got like 50 likes from 50 people I have never spoken to. You know, like yeah, we've got a filtering problem now. Yeah. Previously it was a information, and now we've got all the information, but. 95% of it is wrong. We have the or short relevant. span of human lives to actually sort through it all. Yeah. The, the last big meme that went around all of Bitcoin, I think, was the Plan B stuff. I think that got to everybody, whereas a lot of other developments in Bitcoin just kind of never get noticed. But this was one that you just, everybody had, we're getting everybody's note, update no, to up. this information. Yeah. We're going 10x. Nobody doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we at time-wise? Past two hours. Anybody got any burning issues that they've been meaning to say and been holding back? Are we gonna be Final doing, comments. Are we going to be doing anything? chapter two next round? Are we going to be doing that next week? <laughs> I think it's hilarious how we pretend like we're going through this book. So, yeah, we're, we're, let's pretend to go through chapter three next week. Well, I feel like, I feel like since... Dude, well, no, since two is like the best, man. We should. I thought we were doing that today. <laughs> I, I definitely no, we do should that next actually week. agree on finishing one. I, I feel <laughs> like <laughs> two sucks, actually. Oh. See, this is why we need an episode on it. Uh, 
Well, we haven't been able to make it through the definition of fiat or decree, okay, we which is like just drop I, I like the first late, page like of the book habit. <laughs> I'm so tired of talking about fiat. Yeah, so <laughs> I realized that I... Let's be done with chapter one and we'll move on. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Did, did that not get resolved before I walked in? I was yes, hoping we'd totally fix that. resolved. You're right about everything. We don't have to talk no, no. about it anymore. We, we decree that no, it's resolved. I, yeah, I, we I, decree. I came in too hard last time. I have a softer stance than I was defending, but, you know. Let's let's make that a regular segment on the podcast, like regrets about what you said All last regrets. week. <laughs> That's great. And that is officially half of the show, every show from here on out. I wasn't here last week. I regret attending I, last week's podcast. I really regret I really regret using cockles in my example. I have no regrets for using cockles in the example. Give them a week. <laughs> I, I mean, I this book is amazing, guys. Even if we're doing a terrible podcast rendition of it, make sure you read this book. Go back and read chapter one. It's such a great book, and we're, we're going to kick it up a notch next week with chapter two. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody ha- listening has any great ideas for a party that involves projecting a laptop screen on a bank uh, for the happening, uh, get in touch with us. Um, if you've got like a really badass projector or just any great ideas for some prankish version of a happening party, let us know. Where could they reach us if they needed to? I think it's straight slurman <laughs> at <laughs> Gmail. What is the spelling on that? Standard spelling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Straight slurming at gmail.com. Standard spelling. <laughs> you spell it just like it sounds. Anybody else have any final comments? I mean, we want to go around and what do you guys think is going to happen with the happening as far as the price? I think uh, price will go up leading into it and then crash on the, well, probably prior. Probably like a couple weeks it'll crash a little early. Um, but What's a crash? I don't know. You know, I think we're going to see 6, 6K before 30%. the happening. Or whatever. You think you'll six get to six seven again? before uptake afterwards? Nah, I don't agree. I, well, I think we're going to be. I, do, I doubt. I doubt we'll go back that low again. It's six. What's your lowest? The I log think we'll, we might see eight again. Yeah, but the log no, scale says anything eight. less than that. I, I, I doubt. Part of it depends on what comes out from this latest government SEC Mnuchin stuff, right? I Maybe. Mean, yeah. yeah, that that could certainly have an effect on it too. I think we're going to be between 8K and 15K all year. I don't think the happening is going to matter much. It's just going to get priced in and priced out, priced in and priced out over and over again. You don't think we'll see a new all-time high this year? No. I'm wondering. I, I, I'm kind of leaning towards yes, that we'll, we'll break 20 this year. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I come in that Bitcoin's a war of expectations, and you don't want to have too high of expectations that are going to be unmet and leave you not wanting to get more Bitcoin. So have low expectations, and because everyone is so convinced things are going to play out just perfectly for the stock-to-flow model, it makes me really concerned it's not going to happen that way. So I don't like the uh, ceiling that the stock-to-flow model has set. Like, I feel like... Bitcoin could do another 10x and everyone's like, oh, no, it can't go that high because the stock 
flow model is going to keep it down. I mean, I just, I feel like people, I don't know, they're taking the stock to flow model as like what the price should be. It's, and we just don't know what the price should be. That's not how it works. It's a model that they just pulled out of their asses. It's just you it's, have to run it in real time to see if it actually works. It's just measuring supply pressure. That's all it does. It leaves everything else off the table and just measures supply spe- uh, pressure. Um, but as far as like, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's priced in, and I, I don't think it's going to happen. Like in the sense that. Um, oh, because everybody's expecting it. I think we're in a bubble. I think the number of people that are actually expecting it know it and really are thinking about the stock to flow being priced in is a tiny portion of actual Bitcoin, actual people holding and investing in Bitcoin. I think it is a widely not known thing, um, despite the fact that in the tight Twitter circles, Everybody's heard of it. I, I think it's be weak hands will be drawn in again and again and again based on the happening. They'll see a YouTube video about the happening. They'll come in, get hit by a pullback, and pull out. That's why we're going to be in this eight to fifteen k all year. That's my prediction. And that um, meantime, the noobs are going to embrace Ethereum. That's my two predictions for twenty twenty. Well, you got to remember, if that behavior is entirely constant and the supply schedule is cut in half, then what you would expect is a steep increase in price even if that behavior doesn't change at all all year there's always the restricted supply to consider if demand is constant well then price will have to go up significantly yeah is there any way we could start a rumor that someone was going to stop the happening from happening i'm so I'm okay with that i'm okay with taking I'm, like i will spread this yeah like I, so what's has, i think i saw something on the internet that he is attempting to stop he's that gonna, he's gonna <laughs> insert the virus yeah. he, by did executive say, order. he did say that 10 years from now bitcoin won't be widely used yeah send that if you can find that send that to the group i want to i want to like promote the rumor that someone has the ability to keep the happening from happening. So what's the end game on this? It, like, why? It, no, the the how it works. And if it's you guys aren't aren't aware of the, the technicals, <laughs> it's like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. They just put the car in reverse and they jack it up and they run the blocks backwards. <laughs> and we're only going to do yeah. that for half a decade. So the happening yeah. will happen, but we're going to keep running it backwards and forwards. Camera so never. Need some Camera's not going to kick the jack out from under it though. Yeah. We're going to flip all our miners upside down and we're going to hash. <laughs> Well, so that's probably why it's taking as long because the damn Australians are mining upside down. Oh, (laughs) Oh, we just rolled back six blocks with this stupid ass Australian. The reason I say that is because I think uh, part of what's holding Bitcoin back from really going crazy (laughs) is people's belief that there's still a man behind the curtain. Yeah. Like, it's like for me personally, I didn't invest you know, all my money into Bitcoin until I fully convinced myself that there was no man behind the curtain. And I still think even uh, 99% of people, I would say 99% of people that even own Bitcoin would, if you said like, oh, you did you hear that, you know, they were going to keep the happening from happening? Like 99% of people would entertain that thought. They would freak like, out. Oh my God. would be like, oh, really? That? They? Like 99% of people think there's a they. Well, just on CNBC, a video got shared out with the XRP guy, Garlinghouse. Um, and they were having a conversation as if this was, you know, totally legit and just couldn't be entertained 
to the idea that they didn't know what they were talking about, um, that um, China controlled yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah, China can stop the happening. Because I would say like most people think that's true. That's oh, why I'm trying to like they promote even, that's They good. literally even said it's like, that's oh good. yeah, it's a very yeah. good strategic move by yes. China. As if China just like runs this thing. It's like we've already had 90% of the miners say that they were going to change something and then exactly. fail. Yeah, most of like, the people think about yeah. that 60%. What are they going to do? Right. There's absolutely nothing in this universe that can stop the happening. So you're saying... And I think it's people's be- don't think that's true. And I'm trying to get like... I don't know. People don't, to to people do understand that there's literally nothing. There is absolutely this. nothing you can do. Everything the else in the world can. So like, there is nothing in the world that is a less stoppable than Bitcoin happening. Can we, yeah. we set up a betting market to bet against people who don't know that? And they believe that a having could happen or it could be stopped. Mm. Dude, that would be a great one. I'm like, uh, I uh, just don't know like why you think the happening is going to happen when the coronavirus is ravaging China right now. Exactly. The miners are down. <laughs> right? the yeah, miners the miners are down. are down. They're sick. <laughs> They're quarantined. Yeah, we it, can't mine right now. It does. It, it it does feel like every time there's a price move upwards in Bitcoin, like this deluge of information about oh did you know that the miners in, are in china and like china controls all the miners it's just like you forgot that like, what a strategic move by china <laughs> like, what are you about? but like, they, they seriously don't understand that you know uh longest chain via hash power is one of the many rules that exist for consensus yeah yeah, and dynamic <laughs> adjustment. If all of the miners shut off in China, guess what? The difficulty algorithm is going to adjust to how many new miners there are. Like, Boom. That's it. Man, the only like, there's nothing that can, can stop yeah. it. Whoa, 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 whoa. But what about the Russian miners? Oh, well, the Russians, they're yeah. different. They're, yeah, they're, <laughs> they they colluded, there. and that's a different story. <laughs> yeah. I know Iran and North Korea are doing Monero now, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, these are the real headlines. The, we joke, but these are actual Coin Telegraph. If you go to what is the most respectable news outlet in this field, the most respectable news outlet publishes these tra- this trash multiple times a day. Well, I don't remember. It gets clicks. Yeah. That's yeah. what. Yeah. 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 I don't remember uh, who it was that specifically said this. I'm sure it's just been said like a million pe- by a million pe- million people. But um, was it like take something that you know really really well in this room, obviously Bitcoin. And like, look at the state of journalism around it. Look what CNBC reports. Look what Coin Telegraph reports. What Coin Desk reports. And then now think everything that you only know because of the news—the wars, what's going on in the Middle East, what's going on in Congress, like all of that stuff—that is the level of accuracy that you are getting about everything yeah. that you think you know. That's it's why I'm terrifying. hoping. That's why I'm Absolutely hoping this like terrifying. global narrative thing just goes away. Yeah, yeah. Like I, that's why I call it the great disillusionment. It's not yeah. that we knew the truth and now we don't know what it is. It's that we knew a lie very, very confidently, and our confidence is gone. Yeah, yeah I like that. According to this um, astrological chart back here, <laughs> uh, the happening will not happen. <laughs> you can see that when. Um, Chiron is in passes Uranus of Venus. <laughs> <laughs> when Chiron passes my hand. Did S- did Satoshi write that? <laughs> <laughs> you mean that psychopath narcissist Satoshi? Also a reminder that um Reagan's wife had a official astrologer in office. What if Reagan's is, to- is Satoshi? Very good. 
right? Guys, I, here's something I want you to all think about very seriously, which is what if the sun is Satoshi? The sun? The sun. Like the giant ball of fire in the sky? Think about it. The sun is Satoshi. It's Satoshi. I'm trying to push sun worship again by convincing people that sun is Satoshi, but you guys apparently are not on board. Think about it some more and come back to me. I don't follow. And that concludes this week's uh, portion of the things I regret from last week. Yeah, the sun god lobby is pretty strong. It would just be convenient if they were. You'd see them all the time. Being able to give thanks. He'd supply energy to the miners. I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes I do think about that that movie Stargate, where there's like the Egyptian kind of things, oh. and you know the pyramids, and I I, I think that might be how Bitcoin arrived. Is this Stargate Egyptian went through, pharaoh through a wormhole, and then somebody yeah. like just dropped it off, yeah, and left again. I, that's that's my leading theory <laughs> of how Bitcoin got here. I'm totally behind that. Things I regret. <laughs> for next week and this episode is called All right. Bitcoin came from Stargate <laughs> what do you guys think should we end it there yeah. alright yeah. we'll leave it there thanks for listening see you guys next week <laughs>